Hey, everybody, this is Opposing the Matrix, and we have a special night tonight. Uh, we have Brian with us. Hey, Brian. Hi, hey guys. And we have our special guest, Gordy Tong, with us. Hi, Gordy. Hi, from Vancouver, BC. Yeah, yeah. So we got the whole West Coast covered. That's cool, I think. Um, anyway, tonight, folks, we're going to get into some really, uh, a lot of times we talk about meat and potatoes, but we're really going to get into meat and potatoes today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the history of abduction and uh, several other things, actually. Uh, we're going to talk about who the aliens really are. Are they really aliens? Um, or are they interdimensional creatures? We're going to be citing some works from Jacques Vallée and uh, J. Allen Hynek. And um, I can't remember the third guy. Who was the third guy, Gordy? Uh, well, um, uh, Vallée, uh, in this book, mentions... Uh, the Reverend Robert Kirk and an essay he wrote called A Secret Commonwealth. So we'll be looking at uh, that, actually a video presentation of that, yeah. uh, his take on, on you know, the uh, what would he consider to be the fairy phenomenon of Scotland. But it's also related to what Jacques Vallée believes is the uh, what we think are UFO entities. Good deal. So, so. Hey, you know what? Skype is working really good right now, um, and we hope that it will the rest of the night. So, uh, folks, um, so Gordy, why don't you, you know about me and, uh, they know about me and Brian. Uh, why don't you give us a little uh, background of yourself before we get started, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Um, what can I say? <laughs> uh, I had no interest in the UFO phenomena or paranormal subjects, Um uh, when I was younger, um, it was my brother uh, and a little bit of science fiction that I watched, like the Day the Earth Stood Still, that oh, yeah. got me interested in the subject. But my brother, um, he was kind of one of the earlier New Agers here in, in Vancouver, and he got involved with uh, a Swedenborg church called the Church of New Jerusalem, and he uh, got involved with that cult, uh, Summit Lighthouse for a while. So he was into different forms of meditation, uh, mantra meditation, and so on. So he was the one that uh, brought me to uh, a meeting called the U of Flying Saucer Club. Oh, wow. <laughs> back, then, back, back then they called them Flying Saucers, not UFOs, but uh, so much. So uh, so I went to some of the meetings with my brother, and we heard different speakers. And eventually they uh, invited uh, some contactees from the States, uh, a fellow named um, George Van Tassel, Oh, yeah. And uh, Mr. Fry or Howard Fry. Anyways, they uh, gave uh, experiences of their contact experiences um, down in um, uh, a place called Giant Rock. Uh, Van Tassel um, had quite a few meetings there, but he had encounters himself there. So he related his encounters. Now, I can't remember all that he said, but this might be related to what we could be talking about because um, we've been hearing lately. Um, uh, that there are people that are not just being abducted anymore. Abductions, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago was a really big deal, right? There was quite a few books and documentaries mm -hmm. and films about it. But today there uh, seems to be a kind of a shift toward uh, not the scary greys and beings that would abduct you. And it wasn't just the greys. Uh, Jim Williams has said there was the Nordics as well. But we're going to maybe explore the possibility that today, whatever these beings are, and there's a Christian perspective, there's non-Christian perspectives, they are trying to present uh, a, maybe a better uh, 
persona of themselves, a better image of themselves. So, uh-huh. so uh, I was at a, a meetup group uh, uh, Zoom session just along Sunday, and Brian uh, Brian Rude, one of the organizers of the meetup group, now he's got his own kind of breakaway meetup group. He discussed um, he discussed uh, what he called the gray alien agenda. And he quoted a book, uh, quoted and read some things from a book called The Dual Soul, Soul Connection, the Alien Agenda for Human Advancement by a woman from New Zealand named Susie Hansen. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll just read you. A, this is from, I'm reading from Amazon about her experience. It says, at age 20, Susie Hansen's life changed on a lonely country road in broad daylight. Her car was engulfed by a massive ball of white light resulting in 90 minutes of missing time and the unfathomable experience of waking waking after dark. The experience resulted in her discovery of an alternate reality. Time spent with extraterrestrials on board their craft since childhood and, in fact, since her inception as a soul. Um, anyways, Brian presented her encounter as something very positive. It wasn't scary. And what I've read so far to you, and if you uh, read reviews on the book, her experiences are extremely positive. So what I'm hearing right now uh, from uh, uh, people within the meetup group, a fellow named Jeff, initially he did get abducted, but then it turned into something positive. So he became a contactee. He was chosen to uh, receive telepathic or channel messages, and he started to hear things about the Federation. We're hearing more about that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talked about this uh, concept of oneness, and then he said um, that some of these gray aliens uh, created the human race, or some humans on this planet, maybe genetically altered. Uh, I'm not sure if he said they created all humans, but they had something to do with our evolution or our transformation. Huh. So again, uh, Jeff's pers- uh, perspective today is extremely positive. I did a little better background on Jeff, and he was not into UFOs at one time. He heard about Heaven's Gate, read a book about it, and the Heaven's Gate movement was a UFO religion, right? Some people called mm-hmm. it a cult, but it was a religion. Right. Actually, it had uh, people in there with some Christian backgrounds, like uh, Marshall Applewhite. And he was supposed to be the son of a Presbyterian minister. And so... Hmm. They were studying Bible prophecy, you know, apocalyptic material. But somewhere they shifted from a Christian perspective uh, and end time stuff to um, the UFO ET encounter thing. And Jeff said it was as a result of hearing about and maybe encountering a, a group of beings called walk-ins. There was a book over maybe 20 years ago by Ruth Montgomery called Walk-ins. It was about aliens that could interact with humans, but they're called walk-ins because they can essentially come in to your person. They, they walk into you. So, huh. so when when the walk-in well, that, isn't that kind of like demon possession? It's very similar, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Similar that uh, you can be possessed by someone, uh, something, or some entity, and then you know it can become your guide. There's like New Agers claim they have a spirit guide. That spirit guide can be ET. It could be an ascended master. It could be a whole host of different things, including, uh, you know, a different version of Jesus. 
that can be mm-hmm. your guide, but it's not Jesus. Um, we might talk about that later. Um, I didn't intend to talk so much, but uh, I have to introduce. No, it's okay. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so when Brian talked about the uh, gray alien agenda, and the uh, then that gradually got into the Federation, she he introduced uh, Susie Hansen. So in her experience, yeah, it was um, it was a completely uh, let's say worldview changing. Uh, events in her life it completely changed her just from that encounter that I briefly disca- uh, uh, mentioned you can look at more uh, details on Amazon about you know what happened to her but it says I'll just read one more thing um, it says uh, this particular book and, and uh, Susie Hansen's um, uh, experiences was examined by a Dr. Rudy Schultz Emeritus Astrophysicist, Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Hansen and Dr. Schild address issues of spirituality, consciousness, modes of telepathy, and alien culture, alongside of scientific concepts of advanced physics, holograms, organic consciousness, technology, all within the framework of contact with these non-human species. Significantly, the book outlines human participation in complex alien programs that assist and advanced humankind, and Hansen's experience of a dual soul identity uh, central to this, uh, to this positive agenda. Hansen's clear empirical approach gives the fullest description of how this off-planet civilization seeks to prepare us for contact and answer the why question by describing in detail the how. Uh, anyways, finally, it says... Um, this dual soul connection highlights our interconnectedness with a wider universal family, revealing a process of uh, disclosure by the aliens themselves, a journey unfolding contact that the whole of mankind is undertaking together. So that's the introduced, uh, introduction to her book. Anyways, wow. uh, in the meetup group talk, uh, uh, Brian read some excerpts from the book. Anyways, it, the, why it's called dual um, dual soul connection is the the belief of reincarnation is brought into this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard before, but some of the uh, alien entities or things that people encounter are promoting the idea of reincarnation. Have you heard right. this? Yeah, before. Oh yeah, yeah. And the, the ability to uh, recycle for souls. many years. Yeah, and I, I saw a book at uh, chapters again about. Uh, these aliens having some ability uh, or claim they have this ability to recycle our souls. So, and again, uh, the word reincarnation is sometimes actually mentioned, and it was mentioned on Sunday. And so uh, Susie Hansen believes that she was an alien, maybe on another planet at one time. And then she was incarnated into this this world, our, our, our reality now. Uh, I met a lady uh, many, many years ago at a UFO um, um, research um, meeting at a person's home who was a top Canadian UFO researcher. And there was a lady there, I forgot her name, but she claimed that she was, yeah, that she was, that her first uh, memories was that she was an alien on another planet. And then mm-hmm. she was born into this planet, but she has all these memories of what it was like prior in her previous life. And... You know, I thought that was kind of weird and interesting. <laughs> and um, 
that evening didn't end well. It didn't end well at all. Uh, uh, I was parked inside a dark driveway at the house where we had the meeting. So, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing really weird happened during the actual meeting. But when I tried to back my car out of the driveway onto the road, uh, it was quite dark, and there was not a, even the road I was on that I backed onto was not very well lit, and I got hit from behind by another car. It almost half totaled half my car. Oh my goodness! Uh, so that was not a pleasant experience. There, uh, you know, but that was the first time I heard about this concept of reincarnation and um, alien a- alien agendas. So mm-hmm. now Han- Hansen. Uh, uh, in her book and in the talk that we had Sunday uh, is also saying the same thing. Now, um, so we, so they discuss reincarnation. Like uh, Brian Rue is a Buddhist. Uh, he's right. not a Buddhist to begin with. In fact, he used to go to a Christian church in Vancouver, one of the largest Pentecostal churches called Broadway Church. Oh, my goodness. And he went there, he said, for a year. And for some reason, he just drifted away from the Christian faith after that experience of the church. And I'm not sure. He didn't explain why. I said, well, is there something wrong with the church, with the people? Or He said, no. It's just something caused him to, you know, drift away. I guess the way that's what he put it. Instead of drifting away into agnosticism, atheism, he got involved with Buddhism. He became a Buddhist monk huh. in India. And he said it wasn't that pleasant being a monk, and but then he came back to Canada and then he became. Um, he said, "I'm a former nun, I'm a monk uh, in the Theravada school of Buddhism, and I, I would like, you know." And then he wrote a couple of books on the subject, and then he started giving lectures at various uh, uh, places where he was allowed to, you know, at colleges, universities where they had. Um, extracurricular classes or, um, you know, that kind of thing. And he started to teach on Buddhism. And then from Buddhism, he got interested in the UFO phenomena. I don't know how he jumped from Buddhism, but he didn't abandon his Buddhism. Mm -hmm. But the strange thing that happened was he, because if you're a Buddhist, you believe that you have a, you, you, you believe in reincarnation, right? Right. That's part of Buddhist beliefs. It's part of Hindu beliefs. It's part of most New Age beliefs. Some Aboriginal cultures believe in in reincarnation as well. So he went to a past life regressionist, and he wanted to find out what his past life was. So he went into maybe some type of hypnotic trance state uh, that's being used to find out what the past life was. So... What he was told by the regressionist uh, when he was under this um, uh, therapy was he was a former Nazi pilot. He was a, a, a member of the Luftwaffe, that he had dedicated his life at the time as a Nazi to serve Adolf Hitler. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, but, it, so what happened? Now, he said that he had spirit guides because of his Buddhist faith. And these spirit guides are called devas. Have you heard of that term? Yeah, it's D-E-V-A, right? Yeah. Well, I heard about devas uh, uh, from a New Age book I read about the Finhorn community in Scotland. Uh, This community has been around for over 50 years. Uh, And the book was called The Magic of Finhorn. So... um, 
back in uh, back in the I think early 80s, I went to Scotland. I wanted to do research. By this time, I was a Christian. I was starting to uh, research uh, comparative religions, comparative philosophy, uh, I guess cult movements. Um, and so I went to Scotland, and this is going to introduce some other things. Um, uh, and I spent about three days at Finhorn. Mm-hmm. Well, many New Agers do believe in, um, let's say, uh, interdimensional spirits, gods, entities, uh, space brothers. So at this community, I heard all of that, that uh, they had encounters with the elves, with the god Pan, uh, with other kind of uh, fairy, fairy type of uh, 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 phenomena or entities that are associated with Scottish culture. In fact, the Finhorn community got started because they thought this nature spirits in this part of Scotland wanted these people to build a, uh, a community and start organic gardens. And so huh. with the help of the, of the, huh. of the uh, devas and the uh, spirits of nature, they were able to grow some incredible gardens with huge cabbages and, you know, but they claimed that they got help from this, the, the fairy realm and the spirit realm. But there were some people at the community that was also interested in aliens. They called them the Space Brothers. And, mm-hmm. and the, one of the co-founders, Peter Caddy, I think he was he especially was more interested in the, the Space Brothers as well. So right there, uh, you see this connection. I'm starting to see a connection. Yeah. Yes, you see the connection between uh, mm-hmm. the fairy phenomena and aliens. Back then they called them Space Brothers. They didn't always call them aliens. That was... Not a term they used at Finhorn that much, um, and so um, so after three days there and talking to people there, uh, I found out that some of the people that had, had experience with these beings, it wasn't always pleasant. Uh, they said that some of these uh, spirits and, and and beings were um, not always friendly. They were deceptive sometimes. They could lead people astray if you follow the guidance of these. These um, nature spirits, Davis. Yeah, it um, it made it didn't always go uh, end well. That's what I was told by people there. Mm-hmm. So then, in uh, then um, in the book Magic of Finhorn, uh, uh, one of the um, uh, members of Finhorn, his name was Rock, and he was considered to be kind of the wizard of Finhorn. He had encounters with the nature spirits, but he also had encounters with the god Pan. And this is described in the book, The Magic of Finhorn. Mm-hmm. In this chapter about his encounter with Pan, I don't know if it happened actually at the Finhorn area, or I think it could have happened elsewhere in Scotland. Brock said he had a, an encounter. Now, Pan is this Greek god that looks like he's part goat, part human, right? Uh, in mm-hmm. the Bible... It mentions haunted places in Babylon, and they had beings called satyrs. Right. Okay, well, a satyr is something that looks like like Pan. But Pan is supposed to be the, the god or the lord of the nature spirits, according to Rock. Kind of like a minotaur or a centaur or something like that? No, more goat and part, part goat, part human. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh. Uh, have you seen uh, Chronicles? Uh, have you seen the Disney version of Chronicles of Narnia? Uh-uh. No. Oh, you haven't seen the Narnia film? Okay. Oh, well, they, no. depict, they depict... You have? 
these fawns that part goat, part human, you know. Uh-huh. And one of them friends, one of the children from our world. Um, but anyways, the, the conversation in the book was revealing. Uh, this um, uh, pan said to Rock, do you love me? And uh, do you love me, you, you know? And Rock says, yeah, of course, uh, you're the Lord of the nature spirits. You know, we're really, you know, into making contact with the spirits of nature. I'm paraphrasing kind of what he said. And then uh, Pan started to laugh and said, you know what you just said? That you said you love me? Pan said, did you know you just said you love the devil? (laughs) (laughs) So he was taken aback by that. Uh, Why would you say that? You know, why are you saying that you're the devil? But then he he um, he he pointed to what the Christians perceive them to be. So he said, well, that's what Christians perceive or people that believe and Christ believe us to be. But he wasn't saying. But he, why did he say he was the devil in the first place? Right. Right. OK. But I think he was just, you know, just playing with rock. And so I thought that was kind of uh, interesting that, you know, some of these nature spirits are calling themselves, uh, you know, associated with the devil. Here's a book here. You, I don't know if you heard of it. It's called the Fairy Faith in Celtic Fairy Countries. Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries. And we're going to see a video in a moment about the Reverend Robert Kirk. It's Robert, Reverend Robert, the Reverend Robert Kirk was a... Uh, a Christian minister in Scotland. He was a Gaelic scholar, and he and it's mentioned in a chapter Jacques Vallee's book, uh, a chapter I think it's called The Secret Commonwealth. This book is mm-hmm. called Passport to Magonia. The title is From Folklore to Flying Saucers. Okay, so he's going to be looking at the fairy phenomenon and comparing it to you both uh, encounters and abductions. Yeah, Jacques Vallée is one of my heroes because of that. <laughs> yeah, he was for a lot of Christian uh, UFO researchers because he was starting to question that these things were ET at all. At first, he did hold to the ET hypothesis, but after further research, he saw you know parallels with you know things that are in folklore, things that uh, maybe are discussed uh, in France. Uh, there's a belief in fairies in France, uh, I'm not sure, and even Eastern Canada and parts of Canada, there's still people in Canada, uh, sometimes with Icelandic or Scottish or Irish backgrounds or Polish, that claim they've had fairy encounters here, uh, and the fairies are not always diminutive like Tinkerbell. Some of them are our size, mm-hmm. and I can go into more depth about that. But um, and there's a there's a documentary I've watched many times. Uh, it was called the Fairy the Fairy Faith. And this was a Canadian documentary. The, uh, the fellow uh, grew up in Scotland, and he had a Scottish background. And he heard that people in, Scot- in Nova Scotia, one of our eastern provinces, were having mm-hmm. modern-day fairy encounters. And so he thought it would make a very interesting documentary to interview people here in Canada, uh, and uh, especially Nova Scotia, because that's where he grew up. And he interviewed uh, even police officers, uh, children, people that were having modern-day fairy encounters. Well, the fairies could do things um, to animals and humans that, um, like this police officer he interviewed said, you know, we have a mare, and this mare was in our barn. And when, you know, the mare was left alone, but when we got there in the morning, 
the mares, um, the hair of the uh, of the horse, the mare, and sometimes it can be just uh, the, the the hair on the on the head, but sometimes the tail can be weaved into uh, um, it's weaved like a braiding. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and this has happened in other countries as well, where fairies, you know, they I don't know what they like to uh, weave the hair of. So the police officer says, well, that's what it, we investigated a case of a horse that was, uh, was weaved. But what was more interesting was when this fellow went to uh, Ireland, Scotland, he asked people there of their experiences with the fairies, and he spoke to a folklorist, and he said, well, how do you explain the origin of fairies? Okay, so this Irish uh, folklorist said, well, um, among some of our people, we believe that the fairies used to be angels. Really? He actually said that in this document. Oh, man. They were angels wow. at one time, but because they followed the proud angel Lucifer and they uh, they rebelled, like it says in the Bible, you know, about a third of the angels uh, rebelled against with Lucifer, right? Uh-huh. And so they were not allowed to stay in heaven anymore. Um, and according to the, this folklorist, uh when they were cast down, they became the fairies. They became uh, the fairies, uh, the elves, the leprechauns, the uh, you know the dwarfs. Uh, there's a great variety of little people, and, but they're not all little. Some of them are uh, as big as uh, normal human beings, but they can be very handsome, very beautiful, and so on. So we have that in the UFO, uh, people that talk, have encounters with uh, aliens. Again, they're not of one size, one variety, mm-hmm. one color. You have, you know, uh, Richard Dolan said some of the, he's heard about um, uh, alien encounters from reputable people. And these um, these uh, uh, these aliens look like Scandinavian supermodels. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, but some of the fairies of Ireland, uh, the two of the Nanu, um, um, they were the uh, people of the god- goddess Danu. So there was connections to the goddess Danu. And they were trooping fairies. They rode horses. They were dressed uh, like royalty, like princes and princesses. And they were, they you know, but they were associated with the goddess um, Danu. Anyways, in this book, there's a little uh, introduction to Scotland and, and fairy culture. And I just want to read this with my glasses. Um, ah, you're over 40. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think when I got my first computer screen, uh, that was uh, it was not a flat screen. Uh, it started to deteriorate my eyes. Oh, so my I goodness. had trouble reading small print. Um, so I'm going to show the, that video in a moment of the, of the Secret Commonwealth and Reverend Robert Kirk. But he's mentioned okay. in his book, okay, mm-hmm. uh, under the uh, Taking Evidence in Scotland. That's the chapter. Um, but here's the page I want to read from. Uh, okay, uh, here's a, just a, a footnote here. It says, It is believed by the Reverend Robert Kirk, uh, who wrote The Secret Commonwealth, as expressed by him in his um, The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fawns, and Fairies, that fairy tribes are a distinct order of created beings possessing human-like intelligence and supernatural powers, who live and move about this world invisible to all save save men and women of second sight. On certain nights when their 
their bowers are open and their lamps are lit, and the song and dance are moving merrily, the fairies may be heard singing lightheartedly, Not of the seed of Adam are we, not of Abraham our father, but the seed of the proud angel driven forth from heaven. Whoa. Wow. And this gives me a this gives us a clue that the fairies something to do with Lucifer or the the fall of angels. This folklore said the same thing, according to their you know their their Scottish culture and some many Scottish people were Christians. That's how they perceived the fairies to be. Oh my goodness, Brian, you um, is that is there a Correlation between Walt Disney and the fairy tales and all the movies he makes about this type of stuff and what's actually happening out there. Is he promoting this, knowing some of this stuff is actually real to manipulate uh, young children into believing this? Uh, I've seen some biographies of uh, Walt Disney. Uh, you know, he was a very gifted animator and he started a, a studio of other animators. And yes, a lot of his uh, films. Uh, deal with fairy tales, you know, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, and then they, he had, you know, Mickey Mouse as a wizard that couldn't mm-hmm. control these uh, brooms that, uh, uh, he, you know, he conjured up. And so there's a, uh, you know, we hear about Disney, uh, Disneyland being the Magic Kingdom, that kind of thing. So there's definitely the, uh, I think uh, Disney must have had some interest in the subject. I found out that he he was a Freemason as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, there's actually a place in Disneyland uh, in, in um, is it Anaheim? Yeah. Uh, there's a place that you can um, join. It's called a 33 Club. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so uh, if, you, if you look back and you look into, uh, uh, he is either a, a, a Freemason or an honorary Freemason or something, but definitely... Uh, there, there uh, things I've researched say he has a. So there are Masons that um, they're interested in in all kinds of you know uh, you know uh, paranormal uh, subjects and 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 themes and and so maybe um, uh, I have a friend who's an ex Freemason. Um, he was a master Mason, Evans Nicholson, and Evans said when he was initiated in the first three levels of the Masonic movement, he had a Christian background himself. And he he thought, you know, the Masons were just kind of a fraternal group of men. And there's some there's some women orders as well. And he joined because, you know, maybe he thought he could just have some fellowship with some, some people that were like himself that were Christian, but they were interested in some type of fraternal type of... Uh, uh, but he said... As he was going through the initiations, he felt another spirit. If he was a born-again Christian, he would be very sensitive to it. And because he felt another spirit that he felt was demonic, he uh, he said, I can't, I can't continue. So he quit the Masonic movement. And Good now, for, on the West Coast here, um, he, he's got a ministry to, to uh, share the faith to uh, Masons. Like he, really? Yeah, he has a website. Uh, he has, he's come to some of the uh, mission fest uh, gatherings where he present, presents material and writings and research um, about um, the Masons and their background. So the Masons, uh, from what I've researched, 
it's a blend of some Christian ideas with Jewish, with ideas of Solomon's temple, with mm-hmm. mystery religions. Interesting. And Albert Pike. Albert yeah. Pike. And remember, Albert Pike said things about Lucifer being a Masonic uh, source of enlightenment. Right. So if you, if you, uh, you know, I, I was at a bagpipe um uh, uh, I do I do some photography and video work for the Scottish Festival, and also for uh, uh, there was a bag type con, uh, competition a couple of years a couple of years ago before the pandemic, and uh, about a year and a half, uh, but almost two years ago, and I met um, a fellow in a kilt. He was Chinese, and he was and he said I'm a Chinese Freemason, and I said. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. I said, yeah, because there are Chinese Freemasons, mm-hmm. and I said, well, what is your concept of God? You know, do you, what is your view of God? Um, and so he said, well, um, we have different views of God, and we have different names for God. And 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 I said, well, what are some of the names of your God? Your, your Masonic God. He, he didn't hesitate to say Lucifer. Really? He said Lucifer was. One of the gods, okay. But uh, I read uh, in Masonic literature that one of the names for the uh, great architect of the universe, the god of the Masons, is Jabulun. Have you heard of that term, Jabulun? Yeah, I read it the other day. Three um, names, but abbreviated. So Jab means Yahweh. Uh, Baal, 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 Jabal means Baal, and uh-huh. Alun is an, uh, uh, attributed to Osiris. So here huh. we have blending of already something that you know a Jewish Christian with with something pagan, mm-hmm. and, and, and Osiris was one of the pagan gods of the Egyptian pantheon. Baal was mentioned as a, a false god in the Old Testament. So if you blend these things together, it's not Christian anymore. Right. <laughs> okay, and if Lucifer is one of your gods, well, he's probably the real god of the Freemasons. You can go read more about this in a book called The Deadly Deception by Jim Shaw. Mm-hmm. That? He was a 33rd yeah. degree Mason. He became a Christian eventually. And then, you know, he started to uh, question some of the teaching and why they didn't pray to Jesus much or, you know, made, made reference to Jesus he, like he was a he was a 33rd degree Freemason, and he said some very interesting things in his book before he died. Uh, he had when he was starting to question the Masonic teaching, uh, they didn't like it. Some of the other Masons didn't like it. They didn't want him, you know, starting to doubt or question. And right. and and especially when he tried to bring other Masons that he recruited, he told about joining to try to get him out of the Masons. So um, he co-wrote a book, that co-wrote the book, The Deadly Deception. And in that book, he um, he says um, that he was introduced to the Christian faith. He was not a Christian when he joined. He, he had an uncle or something that was a Mason. His mother said, well, maybe, you know, you know, because your uncle's a Mason, you know, and you want to get ahead, you know, in city government or whatever, or climb the social ladder, it might be good to join a Mason. So he, he joined it just uh, thinking it was just a fraternal, fraternal club that he can use to, you know, climb socially and economically. Mm-hmm. But when he got deeper into it, uh, and some of the uh, rituals were starting to uh, be more, uh, more strange, more, uh, 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 
uh, near the end of his life, before he left it, he said he and, and had a, a meeting that felt like a, a black mass. Wow. Um, and so that was enough. But he uh, he had met a dentist or someone who, uh, or an eye doctor, who was a Christian. So he was starting to read the Bible, start to be considered Christian faith. So he did eventually become a Christian, and he could no longer be in, in that order. But I'm, I'm diverting. That just yeah, it's okay. No, that that's good. Somebody needed to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now, uh, uh, I showed... Um, I showed um, um, David, a little bit of this thing called the Secret Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to watch that, and then also Graham Hancock's. Uh, his Graham Hancock is um, uh, an author, researcher of ancient civilizations, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, um, uh, the, the Giza Pyramid, Egyptian. You know, he, he's studied a lot of different ancient cultures, and Graham Hancock also was involved with uh, the use of ayahuasca. Um, um, and went down to the Amazon. And took ayahuasca with the shamans. He wrote a book called Supernatural. So we're, we're going to have a look at his talk as well. But let's start off with um, uh, let's start off with uh, a little video called The Secret Commonwealth. Okay. Where do you see this, guys? This is amazing. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm gonna just uh, <clears throat> uh, find it on the computer first. Okay. And the more we research uh, 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 subjects that uh, it's like doing a giant jigsaw puzzle. The more pieces it and, and things you can get together, the more dots you connect, then you start to see a, a bigger picture. So I hope that this video will uh, show you uh, the, uh, maybe the bigger picture of the connection between the UFO phenomenon and UFO entity. Vision, tiny winged pixie uh, girls, and few believe that such things exist. Sorry. That, uh, and, and keep it bear in mind when you're watching this what alien abduction is, too. And if you know right. about it, what, um, you know, what, what happens during alien abduction and what's going to happen in this uh, this video of the history of fairies and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. No, okay. I'm just uh, uh, setting up the screen so you can uh, see it bigger. Okay, is that a little better? Uh, a little to your left. Okay. Okay, that's about just about perfect. Yeah. Okay. You got to go back a little. I have to shut some light rock in the room as well, so there's not so much glare. Okay. And, and oh yeah, there you go. Okay. Now I'll tilt the screen a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's filling most of your screen, right? Yeah. Okay. I, can only, I, I see half see? the letters up there. What? I can only see half of the letters on the screen. There, that's better. Okay, okay. Well, let's start at the very beginning here. Okay. When we think of fairies today, we often envision tiny winged pixie girls, and few believe that such things exist. The left a little bit. But this image is yeah. largely a 19th century invention, not based on fairy lore. Those who actually saw the things typically described human looking beings with little resemblance to the way that they're portrayed in children's books. In the late 17th century, a Scottish minister wrote a manuscript on the secret commonwealth of fairies that shared the earth with humans. This book is a rare example of a formal exposition on the invisible people, as he called them and offers a more evidence-based description of their kind. Robert Kirk was born on December 9, 1644. 
the seventh and last son of the Episcopalian minister of Aberfoyle, Scotland. Like his father, Kirk studied theology, attaining a master's degree from Edinburgh University in 1661. After graduation, Kirk joined the ministry, serving first in Balquitter before returning to serve his hometown parish of Aberfoyle in 1685. He authored and aided in a number of publications in these years, most notably by translating the Scottish metrical psalms into Gaelic. In 1689, he went to London to oversee the printing of the first Gaelic Bible in Roman type, and stayed most of a year. Like many of those in Aberfoyle, Kirk believed in a race of invisible people, also referred to as elves, fawns, fairies, she, slua ma, aerial people, and good people, among other names. Kirk also referred to them as the subterranean people, as he believed that they lived underground. Mm. The invisible people had their own civilization, with their own culture, government, and industry. They generally avoided contact with humanity, however, and were rarely seen or heard from. But while many of the common people believed that they were real, European intellectuals were becoming increasingly doubtful of their existence, which could not be squared with the rationalized mechanistic philosophy of the late 17th century. Kirk indicated in a diary entry that he encountered skepticism of fairies and other anomalous entities while living in London. Historians have long maintained that encountering these doubts, especially those of his host and benefactor, Edward Stillingfleet, the Bishop of Worcester, was a big factor in Kirk's decision to write The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fawns, and Fairies, a treatise on the invisible people and other mysteries of Scottish folklore. In his own words, Kirk's aim was to suppress the impudent and growing atheism of this age by drawing attention to God's unacknowledged creations and miraculous gifts. After returning from London in the spring of 1690, Kirk traveled around the Scottish county of Perthshire, talking with people who claimed to have encountered anomalous entities. He also collected evidence of anomalous experiences more generally, as he believed that the invisible people could be responsible for a range of unexplained occurrences. Much of the treatise also discusses what the Scottish called Second Sight, a visionary gift thought to be prevalent amongst the people of the Scottish lowlands. Gordy? Yes? Can you pause it for a second? Those with second sight, called seers, okay. were better able... Yeah. yeah, we got it. We got quite a glare on the left-hand side, and I think we need to move over just a little to the left. Okay, left-hand, this side? Yeah, that's a lot better. Yeah, because uh, you know, the window the light way. is coming a little stronger. You, you got to move the camera over, though, to the left. There yeah, you go. Okay. Good. A little, a little more. Yeah, that's... Is a little bit more even better? Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay, let's uh, re re resume. Still got the glare, Gordy. Still has the glare. Yeah, on the left-hand side. It looks like there's a... Like the sun is setting or something, maybe. Yeah, the sun is setting. And uh, let, let me... Um, uh, Well, that's a strange-looking character there, isn't it, Brian? Mm-hmm. Looks like he's part owl. It's amazing, the, the invisible people. It's, yeah. Wow. 
I'm 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 gonna shield it a little bit. Is that better? Oh, that's much better. Yeah. You know what that's I'm shielding better. it with? What? A, a, a flag of Scotland. <laughs> uh, I, I think I got this at the festival or something, and uh, and it's appropriate because we're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah, perfectly. Okay, now let's resume. Okay. Uh, if I, it still needs to be uh, to see the invisible people as well as other apparitions. Some seers were also said to have healed the sick and wounded and had premonitions of future events. Kirk finished the Secret Commonwealth sometime in 1691, but he never got the chance to publish it. The following year, he was found dead on the ferry hill beside his manse at the relatively young age of 48. There is a gravestone for Kirk in the Aberfoyle Cemetery that gives his date of passing as May 14, 1692. However, his cause of death has never been determined. In 1830, nearly 140 years after Kirk's passing, Walter Scott, a Scottish historian, published in his letters on demonology and witchcraft what he'd learned from the minister of Aberfoyle at the time. The locals believed that the fairy people had captured Kirk, either in body or in spirit. They said that his body was never recovered, and that his coffin was buried empty or filled with stones. When the anthropologist Walter Evans Wentz visited Aberfoyle in the early 20th century, he was told the same story. Those locals still sympathetic to the fairy faith generally assume that the good people were unhappy with Kirk for divulging their secrets and took his soul to their world forever. The same minister also claimed that an apparition of Kirk appeared to one of Kirk's relatives and exclaimed that he was captive in fairyland. The apparition commanded the relative to tell Graham of Ducre, Kirk's cousin, that Kirk's apparition would appear at the baptism of his son, with whom his wife was pregnant at the time of his death. If his cousin threw a knife over the apparition's head, he would scare away the fairy people, allowing Kirk to return. Allegedly, Kirk's image did in fact appear during the ceremony, but the astonished Graham was too awestruck to throw a knife. Of course, all of those that shared stories with Scott and Evans Wentz were speaking of events alleged to have occurred well before they were born. There's no evidence that Kirk's body went missing, and no corroborating record of Kirk's ghost appearing anywhere. It's likely that all of these stories were simply invented by later generations. The Secret Commonwealth refers to the network of invisible people that were alleged to inhabit some regions of the British Isles. Aside from being mostly invisible to human eyes, it was well known that these beings avoided people, so they were rarely seen. Kirk thought of the invisible people as another species of creation, alongside angels, demons, and the people that many assumed to be living on the moon at the time. He believed that they were a middle nature between man and angel and the spiritual hierarchy of beings. They had light, changeable bodies made of a substance like congealed air. Their amorphous forms allowed them to fit themselves into narrow crevices and to become invisible to human eyes. Along 
Alongside these natural abilities, the invisible people possessed powerful ointments that allowed them to change forms, and had fires that could burn forever. Kurt believed that their senses were specialized in the same way as animals, and that they could sometimes give warnings of future events. He also believed that they had the ability to cure their own ailments, and that they lived much longer than humans. Eventually, however, their bodies perished, and their spirits remained as orbs until the final judgment. Kirk assumed that the invisible people must procreate, or else they'd be extinct. Their children survived on milk, like human babies, and the adults ate human foods like grains, and drank liquor. However, they could also absorb the ether through their pores for sustenance. Kurt claimed that the women made their clothes and seemed to model them on the fashions of the neighboring humans. They were not known to practice religion, but Kirk insisted that they had some metaphysical beliefs and that they disappeared when people spoke the name of God or Jesus. Bingo. Yep. The fairy people had government, but no monarchy. Instead, they were organized into a commonwealth of tribes and orders. Kirk states that the fairies used to live on the surface, but when humanity began dominating the land, they retreated underground, where they built their civilization within Earth's caves and caverns. They were also thought to inhabit the fairy hills frequently found beside churches and graveyards. No one had ever found an entrance to the subterranean world, as the invisible people didn't use windows or doors. Instead, they came and went by slipping through the cracks in the earth. Many believe that the invisible people move to new dwellings four times a year, with the changing of the seasons. One of the most common times to see them was when they were on the move, but nearly everyone that Kirk spoke with advised against any entanglements with fairies, as they were known to be quite deceptive and potentially very dangerous. Their chief vices, Kirk claimed, were envy, spite, hypocrisy, lying, and dissimulation. <laughs> Sears insisted these encounters could be terrifying, and Kirk referenced a number of instances in which people were abducted by the fairies, and often not returned. In light of this, it was custom amongst the Scottish and Irish to avoid travel during the changing of the seasons, and to hold church on the first Sunday of the quarter. Some also warded against abductions by keeping bread, a Bible, and a cold piece of iron on their person. Many people even took measures to protect food and animals. Those taken were brought to the subterranean world where the invisible people lived. This place was thought to be particularly hazardous, as it was very difficult to leave, and one's soul could be trapped there forever. While Kirk is generally sparse on details, he mentions a few stories of contact between human beings and fairies, many of which were threatening, and a few of which were fatal. Many of these stories involve nursing mothers being kidnapped to feed subterranean children. One informant told of a woman who was abducted for two years, while a lingering image of her remained in her home, then slowly decayed. Eventually, the likeness died, and the family buried it, just before the mother returned and told of her capture by the fairies. 
The woman said that she was held in a large space, full of light with no apparent source. She said that she could rarely see her captors until she anointed her eye with an oil left nearby. Once she saw them, the people made her blind in that eye with a puff of their breath. Kirk was also informed that some children were abducted and never returned. Evans Wentz also reported a number of folk stories in which fairies abducted people and animals or caused their deaths. Other writers after Kirk's time also claim that the fairy people were known to occasionally sacrifice humans in what was assumed to be some form of arrangement with the devil. The invisible people were individually much stronger than even multiple men and could not be killed by human weapons. In combat, they were known to use stone weapons and throw little barbed darts, and they could strike their targets dumb. Still, they never attacked anyone, except when provoked. One seer told Kirk that he cut a fairy clean in two, but nothing remained of the body once he'd halved it. Another time, he wrestled one of the invisible people, and his neighbors claimed to have seen him disappear and reappear an hour later somewhere else. Kirk also wrote of certain objects, usually stones, being thrown around the house or at inhabitants, but with no apparent intent to harm. Kirk attributed these events to the action of invisible whites, though today, anomalists would probably classify them as instances of poltergeist activity. Kirk also spoke of brownies, as they were called in Scotland, who were known to clean houses and wash dishes while their host families slept and take food for payment. Some fairies were also said to occasionally reveal unsolved crimes and turn up forgotten treasures, much in the same way that hauntings tend to draw attention to traumatic accidents and unsolved murders. Kirk also makes mention of encounters with the dead and a range of other beings and apparitions. He makes passing mention of encounters with succubi as well as with evil angels, who suck the blood of witches. Kirk even mentions doppelgangers, as we call them today. These double men, or co-walkers, were physically identical to humans on the surface, but they lived in the subterranean world. All of these creatures were God's creation, in Kirk's view, and one should not be surprised to encounter them. Kirk's treatise circulated in manuscript form for the next 120 years, but was only disseminated privately. Walter Scott published the first printed edition in 1815. In 1893, the writer and folklorist Andrew Lang published a second, more popular edition based on Scott's printing, as the source manuscript had been lost. Lang added a lengthy commentary and gave Kirk his popular moniker, the Fairy Minister, by which he's now memorialized. Many more editions of the Commonwealth followed, based on Scott's text, though later editions are based on a more complete manuscript source. Kirk was not the first to document the existence of the Invisible People, or other anomalies like Second Sight, and he was far from the last. References to supernatural abductions, poltergeist activity, 
and apparitional experiences have appeared in a number of sources throughout history, particularly since the 5th or 6th centuries CE. Folklorist Lewis Spence surveys all references to fairy beings in British tradition and notes that by the 12th century CE, one could identify three distinct types of fairies in the literature, a diminutive type, a dwarf-like or goblin-esque type, and a tall, stately female type. Still, The Secret Commonwealth was amongst the first works in history to be devoted exclusively to the topic of fairies, and it was unique for featuring the stories of common people and drawing heavily from local lore. Kirk was likely not aware, but the same kinds of invisible beings were known to people all around the world. Icelanders called them the Huldefolk, or hidden people, who lived underground and were invisible to humans. In France and Quebec, they call them the Lutins, thought to be house spirits like brownies. The Slavic peoples of Eastern Europe and Central Asia call them domovoys and honored them as household deities. And by no means were belief in such beings unique to medieval Europe. Representations of otherworldly beings appear in some of oh. the earliest human cave art. Mm. Ancient Greek philosophers like Pythagoras, Plato, and Socrates all spoke of other classes of beings like demigods and personal spirits called daemons that wielded strong influence in human affairs. While pagan-era beliefs in spirits and supernatural beings were condemned by most established Christian churches, Kirk championed them as a bulwark against the growing threat of atheism in the 17th century, or what we call materialism or physicalism today. Kirk's work was a plea against a growing tide of doubt in any other beings but God, angels, and demons. Evans Wentz observed that by the early 20th century, the fairy faith had nearly disappeared and was then only adhered to by the elderly. Today, polls indicate a minority belief in fairies, but the topic is taboo and believers are prone to ridicule. However, in his 1969 book, Passport to Magonia, Jacques Vallée reinterpreted the secret commonwealth and other fairy stories in the context of the contemporary discussion of UFOs and entity encounters. Vallée asserted that contemporary belief in flying saucers and alien beings was nearly identical to belief in fairies and other spirit beings in medieval Europe. He observed that while anomalous entities appeared differently in different times and places, they always behaved in similar ways and wielded similar powers. Ballet drew attention to a number of these similarities in subsequent books. For example, both the euphonauts of the post-war period and the invisible people of the Scottish lowlands tended to abduct people and bring them to well-lit rooms frequently described as having no obvious source of light. Many female UFO abductees, or experiencers, have also reported being asked to nurse children for their captors. Both fairies and modern euphonauts have been said to teleport, become invisible, and even paralyze people from afar, or prevent them from speaking. Both were also known to vanish in an instant. These commonalities led Valet and other anomalists to posit that encounters with both fairies and so-called aliens should be considered instances of the same underlying phenomenon. The image of the fairy is deeply ingrained in Western culture, appearing in everything from garden ornaments to children's books. 
but these whimsical Victorian-era depictions are not faithful to the historical source material on fairy people and other supernatural beings. The beings that Kirk described, when visible, were closer to humans than anything else, and they lived beneath our feet. Kirk proposed that the reason that the fairies appeared to humanity was to convince us that an invisible realm exists, and that it's not entirely out of reach. Their occasional interactions with humans served as both a caution and warning that we are not alone in the world, and that unseen intelligent forces occasionally meddled in our affairs. Maybe these forces are still at work. Wow, a lot of parallels to the, um, the Hubred thing with uh, David Jacobs, huh? <clears throat> yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, what else uh, did you notice uh, watching this? Or... I made notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, they, they were shapeshifters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, invisible. Uh, they mentioned orbs. Yeah. They turned into orbs, and the guy said, and they'll be that way, and until the um, judgment. Um, it's interesting that they, they um, took nourishment from ether from their skin, almost like they, um, they can take the, uh, like Tesla, the um, ambient energy that's out there and, uh, and use it for food. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, they went through the cracks in the earth, which means that they were interdimensional um they kidnapped women like the aliens do mm-hmm. um children they ch- they they abducted children like the aliens do um they abducted animals which is you know i guess that would be like the um the mutilations um they sacrificed humans which if you've read anything about the aliens they they tend uh, people have been brought down to caves where they actually have like vats of body parts you know, that kind of yeah. packed that up. Uh, they were stronger than men, and fallen angels are. Uh, they experienced a loss of time. Uh, they got into necromancy, uh, consulting fallen angels, and there were doppelgangers, doubles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I like that, too. Also, they uh, their souls were taken down into the earth where they could never leave. And uh, I equated that like, you know, hell, going to hell or into the underworld to shield in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? um, it's funny, as this is going on, as you're speaking, everything that God's made, Satan's copy. Right. Everything. But to the dark side, you know, mm-hmm. like Star Wars, he's, he's copied everything. And um, the, it doesn't surprise me a lot of our, what you're talking about, Gordy, is the a lot of our fairy tales and legends like Thor and all these things from the past, there's a little bit of truth to all of this, but it's all anti-God. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I'm getting out of all this is that Satan can, Satan's not original on anything. He can't even do anything on his own original. Right. But he's so deceptive with the fairy tales, with the kids and all this things that are going on. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm just, I did, I did it with you guys. It's just wow. Well, we were we were talking here yesterday, um, Barbara and I, and I think there might have been somebody else on the phone or something. And um, we were talking about that song we used to sing when we were kids, "Ring Around the Rosie." 
And that was all about the bubonic plague because you had a little red dot with a ring around it. And they used to keep posy flowers in their pockets. They thought that that would help. And they burned the body. So that was ashes, ashes. And then everybody, we all fall down. We all die. (laughs) So, yeah. And and being a kid and singing that, you don't think about it, you know, and all, but you know, it's, it's actually a kind of a morose kind of uh, thing to be dancing about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, If you go to new age bookstores, they actually have a, a section like uh, there's a bookstore in Vancouver called uh, Banyan Books, and uh, I used to live in Kits, so I used to go to the store. But they have an area uh, dedicated to fairies huh. and, and mm. Finhorn uh, books. And so Finhorn was one of the original New Age communities and started in Scotland. But they, you know, I think they have um, uh, similar uh, communities elsewhere in the world. And some of the people from Finhorn. Um, have come to uh, Washington State in the Cascade Mountain areas. Mm-hmm. And for a while, they had these annual fairy festivals. Have you heard about fairy festivals? Not or around here, at, but yeah, maybe in Washington. Well, yeah. well, where adults and children dress up as fairies. Oh, okay. But also, when they take pictures at these festivals, they can capture orbs. There's a lot of orbs that are seen by the people. Sometimes, if they, if they have second sight, they can see them. But with cameras, they can capture all these orbs. And they think mm-hmm. the orbs are another form of the fairy. And uh, and so, uh, yeah, that fest- I spoke to one of the organizers of the festival. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, he appreciated uh, some of my knowledge on the subject. But uh, I don't think he shared a Christian perspective on it. <laughs> you know, that's all. But, of course but, not. Uh, yeah. But in, uh, at Finhorn, uh, there's a place uh, called Randolph's Leap. And he said, if you want to... Um, uh, uh, experience uh, a closer a closeness to nature. You should go there. And so, uh, so I took an afternoon and I went to Randolph Lake. It's by a it's by a small creek or river that was very um, kind of um, brownish color because of the peat and the peat water, the water mm-hmm. that was peat. But the area was a place where the Finhorn people would go. And they would dance. They would dance in a circle. Sometimes I saw them dancing at the Finhorn community, holding hands, going in a circle. And what I noticed about Fennel's Leap, there was a lot of mushrooms growing there. A lot of different uh, types of mushrooms. Some of the mushrooms, I think, were hallucinogenic. Psilocybin, huh? Yeah, psilocybin mushrooms, Amanita muscari, and then one with the red and the little white spots. And I thought, hmm. Maybe that's why they're seeing fairies in some of these places because if you start going there eating the mushrooms, and things, <laughs> that may open your doors of perception, as Huxley said. And yeah. You see things. But some of these fairies don't need you to be on hallucinogenics to, for them to appear. They can appear, you know. But but this is where we're going to get to uh, the comparisons with the, um, the UFO phenomena and shamanism. And there's um, uh, on my um, on my uh, favorite uh, thing. There's a, a paper that you can study. How many uh, have you heard of the Skinwalker Ranch? Oh yeah, we watch that all the time on TV. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, here's a place in northeastern Utah where you have UFO phenomena. You have orbs uh, of different color. Uh, there was a, uh, I heard George Knapp talk about orbs chasing some blue orbs or something. And they got too close to the orbs, and 
and the dogs were killed by the orbs. And they were really? liquefied or they were killed. There was another uh, – there was a – remember there was a, a UFO hunter show or something? And they investigated a case somewhere in middle America. And again, a lot of people were seeing UFOs and orbs in the same area. But orbs and UFO are sometimes seen together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so at the Skinwalker Ranch, you have poltergeist activity. The family that lived there uh, experienced poltergeist activity. There were animals. Mutilated. That, uh, mutilated and animals that were taken from one location to another location. And uh, they uh, you know, were put into some sh- some um, some kind of um, trailer, and they freaked out and started kicking the thing because did it, you know, they were t- teleported there. So we just uh-huh. heard that the fairies can teleport. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have stories of, uh, of people being teleported, you know, teleported into a UFO. Uh, uh-huh. There's even uh, uh, stories of cows being teleported with a beam of light into the UFO, that kind of thing. And uh, Linda Moulton Howe, she's a UFO researcher, she said that um, Bigfoot creatures have been seen lowering, uh, being lowered in a beam of light um, to the ground from a UFO. Uh Sometimes Bigfoot creatures or Bigfoot type creatures are seen along with the the aliens abducting animals. Uh (laughs) She she interviewed some ranchers that witnessed that. So what the fairy thing... Uh, what we heard about the fairies, uh, all this stuff is still here today, but it's now the archetype is not fairies anymore. It's aliens. It's got different gift wrapping. Yeah, yeah to, to, I, to appeal I, I, to our yeah, society. I've met people in a meetup group, and they've said they've seen the fairy, uh, these alien shapeshifts. Like, really? Uh, yeah. Um, like one lady I spoke to, she said, she said, uh, uh, this alien said, uh, it was, I think it was a human-looking alien, okay? And this human-looking alien, or uh, Nordic, or said, said to the woman, would you like to see us in a different form? <laughs> and she said, uh, okay. <laughs> and before her eyes, this human-looking alien shape-shifted into something that looked non-human at, at all. It didn't look human at all. Huh. It could have been a gray or something. She's the way she described it was definitely different, but it, it, it demonstrated the ability of these beings to shapeshift in front of her. Mm-hmm. And also, mm-hmm. have you heard of uh, Dr. Carla Turner? Oh yeah. The late Dr. Carla Turner. Okay. Yeah. She's heard about uh, this shapeshifting as well. This uh, ability. And one of the forms they shapeshift into, uh, they can take on uh, human forms and um, may insect forms, mantid forms, uh, reptilian forms. There's all kinds of forms they can appear in. She had a case that she uh, researched of a, a woman that was abducted. And anyways, uh, some of these um, abductions result in some type of sexual kind of experience with the um, with the abductee, right? Mm-hmm. Anyways, so she 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 was in this uh, UFO or this this uh, this uh, space and. Anyways, uh, this uh, alien, whatever form it was, it was very unpleasant, and she didn't want to have anything to do with this thing. And so Carla Turner said that this woman said, well, this let's say it's a gray alien or reptilian or something. It disappears into, you know, goes through the door, and out comes her husband. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> she said, 
Wait, uh, she said um, uh, her her husband um, uh, then came through the door, and then they did have intimacy. And I don't know if she was at, uh, forced to, or she was in an altered state, or she was uh, under some kind of influence. But there was some kind of intimacy. But she said to her um, her uh, her I think grandson or something. I think we're in the presence of the devil. <laughs> she, oh, she had wow. a Christian background, and she came to that conclusion. But you know, I don't know why she was abducted, but she was taken for some reason. Mm. And so that's another incident of, of reported shapeshifting. But Carla Turner talked about it in some of her books, uh, and uh, she wrote an article uh, uh, that mentioned Valley. The article is uh, "Alien Abductions in the Gingerbread House." <laughs> Have you read that one? <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> Sounds oh, good. It's still online. You should still be able to find it. She had a website where, and and but she talked about you know what happens to people when they're abducted, and uh-huh. some of the experiences back then were uh, that she heard that were not very pleasant at all, and and there was you know there are sexual experiences, and and so on. So I'm hearing the same up here with some of the abductees that oh, well so so. Anyways, let's let's go, go on to the, the next area of, of uh, that uh, compares uh, shamanism, but it also mentions the fairy uh, phenomena again, uh, and it's a very short video by uh, Graham Hancock. Okay, and to be clear, shamanism basically is your basic witch doctor, right? Yeah, just uh, witch doctoring, shamanism, uh, the the concept of uh, wizards. Uh, magicians, uh, they kind of, they're kind of in the same genre, right? Uh huh. Okay. Okay. But um, uh, there are, oh, according to Graham Hancock, I don't think he mentioned it in the video. Uh, some of the shamans that he's met in the Amazon, they have shamanistic art, and he saw some of the shamanistic art, and he said, "Hey, some of these um, a- beings that you're experiencing in shamanistic uh, journeys." They look like gray aliens, uh-huh. <laughs> or maybe other aliens. And then he also noticed um, that some of the shamans were depicting things that look like flying saucers or UFOs in their art. Uh-huh. So again, there's this connection between shamanism and and uh, the UFO thing. Okay, now let's have a sure, uh, sure. gander at Graham's um, talk. This is not too long, so I'm just clicking on it right now. Okay. Uh, One of the conclusions that I... Wait, just stop for a minute. i got to center the screen again. Is that better? I think that's about perfect, huh, Brian? Yeah, that's good. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Okay, we'll start at the very beginning. This is, um, it says, Graham Hancock, Shamanic Spirits, Fairies, UFO Entities, and Altered States. Okay. One of the... uh, one of the con- conclusions that I came to with with my research on uh, on supernatural um, is that certain cat- categories of, of beings that are referred to in traditions all around the world, shamans call them spirits. In medieval Europe, they were called fairies and elves, and in modern society, I, I would suggest they're called aliens. Uh, that all of these are the result of experiences in altered states of consciousness. 
and that if we are in the alert problem-solving mode of consciousness, <clears throat> we are not going to have those experiences. Uh, but in an altered state of consciousness, there's a remarkable unanimity and uniformity and similarity amongst these three supposedly different categories of, of beings, spirits, fairies, and so-called aliens uh, today. I really went into this in some, in some depth in my research, and uh, I found that there, there are really astonishing similarities amongst these three categories of beings. Very commonly, shamans, uh, just as we saw from the painted caves, will encounter a spirit being in a therianthropic form, part animal and part human. I was astonished to discover that, that uh, fairies in medieval Europe were also very frequently encountered in that form. And I have a woodcut from Holland in the 15th century on my, on my desk, which, which shows a group of fairies dancing in a ring. And if you look closely at them, you see that they are therianthropes, that they have horns and hooves, that they're part animal and part human. And again, uh, in the modern phenomenon of uh, alien abductions, uh, and we have massive documentation on this as a result of John Mack's work, for example. Very frequently, the abductee will first see a being who is an animal, or part animal and part human in form, later perhaps transforms into the more familiar grey type of, type of entity. So there's that, that common motif running through all three of these experiences. What, did, what were fairies best known for and, and feared for in medieval Europe? It was abducting human beings. What are aliens today best known and feared for? Abductions. What happens with shamans? Very frequently they experience an abduction into the spirit world. It's their, it's their first encounter. What about the issue of um, interbreeding with supernatural beings? Uh, I know the cases of, of, of shamans who have a sexual partner in the spirit world, a wife, even children in the spirit world. Uh, fairies were constantly amorous towards human beings and, and um, would have sexual encounters and babies would be created. And again, this is a standard motif of, of modern alien abductions. So one can go through these astonishing similarities in, in enormous depth and, and the conclusion that I that I came to is that uh, all of these are essentially the same experience, just being viewed through slightly different cultural spectacles. Bingo. Uh, with with human beings, interpretation is built into perception from, from, from the very beginning. So we should expect our culture to shape our perceptions, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a real basis uh, to those perceptions. And, you know, to cut a long story short, I would say that the beings that shamans call spirits, the beings that medieval Europeans called fairies and elves, and the beings that modern Americans called aliens are all the same beings. Um, and and uh, that everybody uh, who has encountered these beings in whatever period of history or whatever culture it takes place has done so through the medium of an altered state of consciousness. Uh, and that altered state of consciousness may be very frequently spontaneous, and I believe that is most likely the case with the modern UFO abduction, alien abduction phenomenon, that these are, these are individuals who, who spontaneously fall into an altered state of consciousness, uh, or it may be induced by a variety of techniques. Again, electromagnetism is interesting. We have, we have situations where um, fairies were most commonly seen around megalithic sites, in, in ancient Europe. 
maybe those those huge megalithic constructions, Stonehenge and, and Avebury and, and other such places, were built where they were built because there's some phenomenon in the earth, some energy of the earth, perhaps an electromagnetic energy, which affects human consciousness and opens that doorway uh, into in, into another realm. Um, this may account for why in some situations supernatural experiences are, are shared by very large groups of people, as, as for example at Fatima in, in Portugal, I think it was 1917, if I remember the date correctly, where up to 70,000 people uh, all, all saw the, the same supposedly supernatural f f phenomena. How would we explain that? It's unlikely that all 70,000 were spontaneously entering <coughs> an altered state at the same time. They clearly weren't taking mushrooms or, or ayahuasca, not all 70,000 of them. Uh, but maybe there was some environmental effect present in that place at that time, which affected the consciousness of that large group of people and, and, and briefly pulled apart the veil that separates this realm from other realms and, and allowed them to see, to see through. I think it's enormously helpful in understanding all supernatural, so-called supernatural experiences. I think it's enormously helpful to, to look at those experiences from the perspective of consciousness. I think this is what's been missing in supernatural research up to now. <clears throat> it's really most unfortunate that people looking for ghosts, for example, will, will try to use technology in order to find those ghosts. And there, there are things called ghost meters and <clears throat> measuring of different fields. And <clears throat> I don't think that that's, that that's really gonna be very helpful in getting us far down this road. What, what will be helpful for exploring all forms of supernatural experience is the deliberate induction of altered state of consciousness in a systematic way. Uh, and, and we have the, the ability to do that. We can do it. All that's lacking is the, the social framework that would support it. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, he ended with... Um, in uh, he he does approve of the use of hallucinogenics. Like he's taken a, he's taken ayahuasca himself, and he had encounters with various uh, uh, you know um, entities. Um, some of them uh, I heard in one interview, he said that they did kind of look alien. Uh, Terence McKenna used a lot of hallucinogenics to talk about the machine elves, remember? And so. Uh, let me just uh, shut off the computer for a minute. Here. Well, you know, David, I don't know if you read the book uh, DMT, The Spirit Molecule by David Strassman. And he was given permission by the American Food and Drug Administration to actually administer DMT uh, intravenously. And um, when people would come back, you know, out of it, they would say that um, they saw aliens uh, grays, reptilians, and, and other creatures that would speak to them. And um, this, the theory is that it, it uh, affects your pineal gland, which is right back here, um, straight back where the Hindus put the third eye. Um, it's straight behind there, and there's a reason why they put that there, I think, is because of the pineal gland. But it looks like a little pine cone, and it's supposed to be like the gateway to the spirit world and and you know i've heard people talk about even christian encounters with with god and stuff they're real don't get me wrong but god has maybe has a way of um inducing that pineal gland to uh to bring them into the spiritual i don't know um you know it's just it's just a theory but um you know i i do think that visitations from the lord are real and that he's bodily there and stuff like that. But you know, maybe in some instances, like with prophetic uh, 
prophetic things um, that that gland is stimulated and um, and is used by the Lord in the way it was intended to be used. Um, you know, not through some chemical uh, manipulation of the pineal gland, so to speak. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, um, I'm reminded that uh, a little, it's not off the subject, it's just a little different, that tomorrow they're going to declassify a bunch of UFO files to the government uh, tomorrow. Huh. Uh, it's a huge, huge pile of uh declassified trump signed it about six months ago uh, i think it was last fall to declassify all this and then you know just you know as we get closer to the end when the lord returns it's like he's revealing more and more stuff and things about scripture and about end times it seems like every day it's on the news mm-hmm. and gordy yours is amazing um i never thought of these fairy fairies and these different creatures being associated with uh, aliens or greys. I never put two and two together on that. And But it all makes sense. Every generation, every culture, all through the ages has been uh, manipulated by demonic creatures in all kinds of forms to uh, to distort the truth, to, um, to keep people from uh, seeing the truth of the Lord. And now that we're at kind of the end of the age here, we don't know when, but just know everybody agrees that something's coming down the pike, that you got the government now releasing UFO files on, on Fox News and different stations and videos. You got that going on, and you got this paranormal going on, which is increased, which mm-hmm. is what Gordy's talking about. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, uh, I'm just kind of summarizing. I'm just kind of taking it all in. That's what I'm doing here. Um, it just, what you said earlier, uh, you put all the pieces together like a puzzle. That's exactly what it is. And as you start putting the pieces together, you start seeing, oh, my gosh, that's a bridge or that's a lake or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and even tonight, uh, the pieces are being put together. And uh, and everything that's happened, you know, I know it's funny. I, I'll, I'll be quiet after this. Um, Star Trek, the movie, the ones that come out in the last few years with uh, – Chris Pine, I think, is the actor. One of them was Star Trek, the ship, was underneath this lake on an alien planet. They were hiding from the indigenous people because they didn't want them to see them. But they had to leave this water to leave the planet to rescue Spock. And as they did, they saw the ship, and they started writing what the ship looked like in the dirt. And they were, they were a very primitive people. You know, they, didn't, they, didn't, they were very primitive. And it reminded me how in the past, the ages, same thing has happened with, with us, with, uh, with humans, that these people have written things down on walls and on rocks and in caves, what they've seen, not knowing what they're really seeing. And yeah. I guess I'm, I'm just glad I'm saved and we know the Lord because mm. it, 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 we, we see what it really is, I guess right. what I'm saying. It really makes sense. Mm-hmm. What you on tonight, it's just... Um, it really is astounding that in every part of our culture, even in our fairy tales with our kids and our theme parks and all this stuff, yeah. it's all been directed at manipulation and at lies and the truth that Yeshua is the only way to heaven. And, uh, you know, because you, you mentioned that some of these creatures were worshipped like God. You know? Yes, they were. Uh, fairies were, were uh, the uh, the trooping fairies, the, the very tall ones. Um 
Yeah, they were uh, worshipped as as godlike beings. Yes. Wow. And um, uh, uh, if you go back earlier into like uh, Greek mythology, uh, mm -hmm. again you have similarities with uh, what uh, Graham has talked about. Um, when I was in Greece, I had a chance to visit a site called. Uh, it was a site for the Eleusian Mysteries. Have you heard about the mystery schools of of, of, of Rome and Greece? Yeah. This is a major, um, uh, let's say, uh, ritual site. And I had a, um, I was in Greece. Uh, I was with um, a Christian ministry there. And on my day off, I and I, I wanted to go to this place by myself, so I went there. Uh, I'm a photographer, and I want to take pictures, and I went, but. I, so I got to the actual temple site when this occurred. I felt a presence there. I felt something that was there, that was some kind of presence, but it was not a. It was not something that, you know, was of the of the Lord. It wasn't something that gave me peace. Or I just had a sense there was something, not hmm. right at this place. Well, the mysteries were such. I did some research on them. Uh, some of the elite and and. Um, uh, you know, some of the even perhaps even philosophers, but some of the uh, the citizens of Athens and other parts of um, of Greece would come to these mysteries every year. You know, sometimes they had to walk, sometimes they had to take. You know, they got there by boat. There were a lot of ways they got there because the Eleusis uh, is very close to the water. It's uh, it's very close to the water, and so you, there's many ways to get there. But the temple that is there now is uncovered. Before it was covered with something, maybe um, material, cloth, I don't know what type of roof they had. So once you got into the mysteries, it was like a sensory deprivation experience. Huh. But you were supposed to take and drink certain things. I heard that they were given, uh, each uh, participant was given something called kikion. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. But it was, uh, uh, it was to honor uh, per Persephone and Demeter. The goddess and the gods, goddesses of uh, fertility. I think fertility and and the harvest and stuff. It's like a, a kind of like harvest festival. But mm. as we know, rain can have a fungus growing on it called ergot. Ergot is hallucinogenic. Yeah. During um, times in Europe when people ate grain that had ergot in it, uh, it created um, kind of hysteria. <laughs> Uh, people started to kind of go crazy under the influence of this hallucinogenic grain. And so in order to, for the people I've read that to experience the mysteries and ex actually have encounters with the, the go gods or goddesses, they would drink something ahead of time uh, before the mysteries started to un you know, unravel. And, and then you would see things, you would experience things that you wouldn't in a normal state of consciousness. Again, going mm -hmm. back to uh, but getting back to the altered state, um, there are unfortunately in churches and denominations, um, I would recommend a book called A Time of Departing by Ray Youngen. He was a friend of mine. He lived in Oregon. Uh, he was associated with the uh, the uh, start of Lighthouse Travels Publishing. Anyways, uh, for many years, Ray investigated the, uh, the New Age movement. He wrote a book called "Many Shall Come in My Name" about different U of uh, New Age practices and and things like yoga, Reiki, meditation, and so on. And 
almost all these, uh, let's say, new age things involved inducing altered states of consciousness. Sometimes not with drugs. Sometimes you can use hallucinogenics. Remember, uh, there's been the use of LSD uh, in the past. And then there was, uh, you know, Sybil uh, um, Silent, uh, Peyote. Um, now ayahuasca is very popular. But he noticed that it is possible to go into an altered state using various forms of Christian mysticism, non-Christian forms of mysticism. And the Christian mysticisms that he was investigated and I investigated are um, common practice in certain denominations. Like in the Catholic Church, we have the use of rosaries. Right? Mm-hmm. Rosaries? Right, right. Uh, when I was a young Christian, I had a friend that was uh, kind of, uh, he was a charismatic Christian, um, and he said that there was an outpouring of God's Spirit in the Episcopalian Church. This was the charismatic revival that started back in the 60s or uh, late 60s. I was part of that movement. The mm-hmm. church that I went to was the charismatic church. Uh, but anyways, um, uh, we were starting to notice, uh, Ray and I um, was noticing that if you use for certain forms of prayer, when I was a very young Christian, I went into a Pentecostal prayer um, set, um, thing after the service because people were praying to be baptized in the Spirit. And what bothered me, <laughs> like I was a very young Christian, you know, was that a lot of people were chanting to be filled with the Spirit. They were using a kind of a mantra-like prayer, like, Jesus, Jesus. And they kept saying it, or, come Holy Spirit. But they just said, Jesus, 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 uh, like a mantra, like the Hare Krishna mantra. When I got into that prayer room, I did not feel the Lord's presence. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel that this was the Spirit of God at work. But they kept saying these things. But in some charismatic churches, in order to be filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues, one way to do it is to just use a, a like a Jesus mantra, uh, mm-hmm. to say Jesus over and over again, or come Holy Spirit or something. In the Orthodox Church, um, there's a prayer called the Jesus Prayer. Have you ever heard of the Jesus Prayer? Mm-hmm. The prayer mm-hmm. is biblical. The prayer is, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sitter. I mean, that's rape from the Bible, right? <laughs> right. Jesus taught about the parable of the person who said, Lord Jesus, have mercy me. So, but in the Orthodox Church, in order to go into a mystical state, uh, a mystical uh, state of, of uh, being, uh, you have to say this prayer not just once or twice. You have to say it like a mantra. And you can say it out loud, you can say it quietly, but you have to fill your mind with this prayer. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. You keep saying it over and over and over again. So on, um, uh, so I heard about the Jesus prayer in a book I read called The Way of the Pilgrim. So when this young uh, uh, Orthodox uh, Christian or believer was taught the Jesus prayer, and he kept using it, and this is that the book uh, about his experience, The Way of the Pilgrim, he started to have experiences with dead monks appearing to him, dead saints monks of the Orthodox Church. Whoa. And he was he called them by a particular name, a starlets or starrets or something. That's something that's similar to that. And these starrets would be like his spirit guides. 
but he, he didn't call them spiritual guides. He just felt they were dead saints and monks that were guiding him on his spiritual journey and, and his walk. Mm. Well, if you go to uh, YouTube and type in Mount Athos, <laughs> Mount Athos is a peninsula in Greece. There's, uh, I think, close to maybe 20, maybe 20 different Orthodox monast- uh, monasteries there. So I've watched some of the documentaries about the the monks and the you know and the believers there, there are no women on the island. Uh, they don't want women for some reason. Maybe there's a big temptation. Although there's a um, a tradition that the Virgin Mary actually was on this island at one time uh, when she was in Greece. That's their tradition. I don't know if it's true or not. But today they ban women. But all the men, you know, uh, and um, people that uh, want to be monks. They have to go for a period. Uh, if you're a new uh, person, you have to go for a period of uh, testing. And, but many of the monks there use the a Jesus prayer. So if you become a new apprentice there or someone who could be a, uh, maybe a, to be accepted as a monk, um, you are, again, introduced to the prayer, uh, Jesus prayer. And so as people on the island, some of the new uh, people to the island and people that are there, they keep saying this prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, over and over again. Guess what happens? <laughs> again, these dead saints and monks of the Orthodox uh, denomination or church start to appear. They suddenly huh. pop up on the on the pathway because yeah, there's no roads on the island, and uh, no uh, cars on the island, so you have to walk from monastery to monastery. So if you're saying the prayer from one monastery to another on a pathway, you might just see what they call invisible invisible monks or invisible saints but they become visible but huh. the more you say the prayer the more you may have a chance to see uh, see these invisible monks and so you may have start to have a communion uh, if these monks so desire to to guide you or share you uh, deeper into the spiritual path have you seen have you seen the uh, most recent movie about Fatima uh-uh no, I haven't. No. Okay, uh, Eli Marzulli did. A, he went to um, he he went to a, a, a Portugal and he did a documentary and he interviewed people about the Fatima case. And I've I've seen the most recent documentary on it. And I did some research many years ago about the children. There were three children that were shepherd children that uh, were Catholic, and uh, they were the ones that originally saw the apparition. Now, how, in the film version, um, and I think it would be true, uh, but from my own reading about the Phantom account, uh, some of these, ch- uh, these children, two of them were uh, girls, and they were used to saying the rosary. And the rosary, again, is a repetitious prayer with Hail Mary, sure. Lord's prayers, and but you say it over and over again. That type of prayer, and then the, uh, Jesus' prayer, can put a person into an altered state of consciousness. Okay, if you say it enough, like the Krishna Hare Krishna mantra, you say that all day, <laughs> okay, and you're invoking the invoking Krishna. Krishna in Hinduism is a god, right? Mm-hmm. He's also supposed to be the prince of demons, according to some Hindu. You know, he's called the prince of demons for something. That's one of his titles. I found out. I don't know if that's true, but I had people involved. I had friends that were involved with transcendental meditation. I even knew a pastor that did TM before he became a Christian. 
And when my friend Bruce uh, did TM, which is, again, you have a mantra. The mantra is often the name of a Hindu god, but you're not told that. And you're not supposed to divulge what your mantra is. Well, you can start to have spiritual experiences Mm -hmm. uh, when you say the mantra. So my friend Bruce, you know, he was not a Christian at the time when he was doing TM. He started to do the mantra, and at first he felt okay. He felt a bit of peace or, you know, um, know, kind of a bliss. But the more he said it, the more he started to feel uncomfortable. And he started to have experiences where he felt oppressed. He felt something was not right. That uh, mm-hmm. and he stopped doing it. Okay. Well, if you know what a, a Hindu mantra is, it is a uh, it's related to yoga. Yoga is a way to join or link uh, with the gods, and there's mm-hmm. millions of gods in Hinduism. You know, that's and some right. Of these gods don't even look human. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have, you yeah. have gods that look like monkeys. You have gods that look like uh, well, even a cow and. In India is considered a god. There's an elephant god. Again, you have these anthropomorphic, you know, things that are part human, part god, very much like the fairy phenomenon. But in order to encounter the gods, you have to do meditation. You mm-hmm. have to silence your mind. Go into uh, Ray Young said you have to go into the silence. You have to quiet your mind, uh, especially your, your critical mind. And but. If you do that, along with using these uh, mantra-like prayers and, um, to Hindu gods, you're going to have spiritual experiences. You're mm-hmm. going to, you know, another thing that uh, um, New Agers and, and some people of other cult, um, religions use is something called guided imagery. Have you heard of uh, guided imagination, creative visualization? Those mm-hmm. are very for mm-hmm. They are part of the Jesuit spiritual exercises. I found out. That figures. <laughs> uh, I did some research on the spiritual exercises because you can look them up on the internet <laughs> and they say well we do our rosaries we have rosaries to, to marry but along with the rosaries you have to imagine if you want to have an encounter with Jesus or Mary you have to visualize this Jesus in your mind mm-hmm. you have to visualize him create an image in your mind and then This image will start to speak to you. When you quiet your mind and then you start to speak to this uh, imagined image of Christ or Mary, Mary and Jesus or Mary or Jesus will start to speak to you. Or maybe I'm some of the saints that you want to focus in on saints. So, uh, but hey, creative visualization got an image heavily used in the New Age movement. Mm -hmm, That's right. It's It's one way to open your mind to the spirit guides. Mm-hmm. You know, using meditation, guided imagery. And so, unfortunately, I don't agree with Graham Hancock uh, that we have to go into an altered state to experience God. Okay? Now, if God puts us in us, in, let's say, if God initiates something with us and we're in his presence, that's his <coughs> will to do that. Right. If we right. start to use a technique, a method... And we think we can get in the presence of God that way, or to hear from God. Uh, I'll give you an example. I went to a Bible study with uh, with my church, a member of the Charismatic Church, and the Bible, uh, the leader of the Bible Bible study group that evening introduced us to guided imagery. Oh no! 
imagery, but he said, "Do you want to have? Do you have, want to have a way to to talk to Jesus? You know, have intimacy." And this fellow, you know, he came from from a Ukrainian Baptist background. He was not a charismatic before, but once he got, he experienced the charismatic uh, things, and and maybe there was something genuine in his first encounters, and he did become uh, what we I consider to be a born again Christian. But um, anyways, uh, uh, he um, he. Uh, uh, Introduced this method of of, of, of guided imagery to this our, our study group. I, I I even got involved with it because I, I was a young Christian. I didn't know anything, so we all sat in a circle, and we were supposed to read something from the Bible. Uh, and have you heard of Lecto Divina? That's a, a discipline used in uh, the Catholic Church. You're supposed to read a passage, but it's not just reading a passage. Some Catholics will then visualize that you're in. The scene that you're that you're reading. So we were told to read an account of Jesus by the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection. Imagine yourself there, and you're with the other disciples. Jesus is cooking some fish or food uh, for breakfast, and you're supposed to imagine the sounds of the lake, uh, the um, uh, you know what it would be like to be there. And that's not mm-hmm. hard to do. You have a vivid imagination. Sure. Okay, now. After you read this passage, and then you visualize that you're there, Jesus now is in your mind's eye, right? Now, what you've used this method, you're supposed to be imagining that you're with Jesus. Then it starts to get real. <clears throat> then you ask Jesus, and you're told by the leader, okay, if you are there, what are you going to ask Jesus? Do you have a request? Do you have... You want to ask him about something in your life, or your, you know, your walk with the Lord. And yeah. so each of us started to okay. Um, so and everyone in that group said, "Yeah, Jesus spoke to me. <laughs> Jesus said this to me. I said that to me." <laughs> and I felt, "Wow, this is a really neat way to be in the presence of God or Jesus, just by using." But that is a method that's used. By the Jesuits, as part of their spiritual exercises, Pope uh-huh. Francis, he had to use the exercises to be a Jesuit. Right. It's part. Of, it's just part of the. Now, mm-hmm. we have to go back to the founder of the Jesuit movement. His name was Ignatius Loyola. Mm-hmm. Now he has a very interesting ancestry. He is Basque. Oh, okay. Remember I talked about the bass before? Oh, yeah. Okay, there's a, an anthropologist named Robert Seffer, and he did some research on the, and the, about the bass people. He went to uh, the area where they live between uh, uh, in the Pyrenees Mountains between Spain and France, and there's bass living in the French side. And the, but many of these people, that before they were Christians, some of them were converted to the Catholic faith, they had their own gods and goddesses mm-hmm. and demigods and creatures that looked like trolls and Bigfoot creatures. And I found out they had a whole menagerie of gods, goddesses, and demigods. A pantheon. Yeah. They had pantheon. Yeah. Uh, oh. uh, but anyways, uh, Robert Sefford asked, uh, he thought their language and culture was very distinct. Their language doesn't sound like other European languages. Their culture is quite distinct. And he asked them, where do your ancestors come from? You know, where, and 
they said to him, uh, we believe our ancestors were survivors of the destruction of Atlantis. Huh. Okay, remember uh, Plato's description of Atlantis? It was a, it was a, an ancient civilization that probably was destroyed by a great uh, catastrophe, maybe even Noah's flood, but probably it was coincided with the destruction of Noah's flood. But their chief deity, according to Plato, was Poseidon. Mm-hmm. Poseidon, there was a, a temple, according to Plato, in the middle of the rings of circle and land. And there was this beautiful temple that was decorated with a, a very precious alloy called Oricanium. It was a, a blend of uh, zinc and zinc and um, nickel and, and stuff and copper and so, and so a few things. But it, uh, ancient aliens actually did something about Oricanium. But the thing is that this temple was a very special center for the worship of Poseidon. And Poseidon, he had children. With mortal women, remember it says. Oh, the Nephilim! <laughs> yeah. yeah, he created more Nephilim. He created uh, sons and as uh, uh, he had five sets of twins. So wow. ten, he had ten children, and that's a, ten is a significant number in, in biblical prophecy. And um, anyways, uh, one of the um, one of the children was um, is it the demigod uh, the um, Atlas. Mm-hmm. One of his children were Atlas. In uh, Western uh, Sahara, there's an, uh, a, a mountain area called the Atlas Mountains. The Atlas Mountains, yeah. Okay. There's people that live there that don't look like Africans. They don't have dark yeah. skin and complexions. They have very fair. They look like the Basque people. They have fair skin, sometimes blue eyes, green eyes, hazel eyes, ginger hair. Um, yeah, it looked like they they could be planted there from Scandinavia or Ireland or something. Wow! If you ask their ancestry, you go back to their ancestry. Some of them uh, claim that they're the people of this where, uh, area of Africa, and according to some new research on where uh, Plato's Atlantis was, there's evidence. There's a structure called the Eye of the Sahara. I got to turn on the light because I'm getting in the dark right now because I can't see. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just was, I got, I got distracted. Um, um, anyways, if we believe in the biblical account of the creation of the Nephilim, and that was why the ancient world was destroyed by Noah's flood, I think the Nephilim were being created in the ancient uh, civilization of Atlantis. And and so eventually, I don't know if it's because of the children being born or this paganism that uh, led to uh, arrogancy and hubris. Uh, the gods were not pleased and uh, Atlantis was destroyed. But again, the Basque people and the Berger people, Robert Sever said, they have one of the highest percentages in the world of arch negative blood. Whoa. And... Uh, <laughs> Arch negative blood is uh, is found in a lot of people that are abductees or contactees. I asked oh. the people in the meetup group during a Zoom session, uh, just out of curiosity, um, how many of you um, know your blood type? You know, do any of you have a blood type called Rh negative? And sure enough, <laughs> uh, I, a bunch of hands uh, raised up and said, "Yeah, I've got that blood type." 
Wow. Now, mm-hmm. one of the la- the lady who is now the head of the meetup group now, the the, the group that uh, that Brian was a part of, it, and now he's broken away from it. She said, "My ancestry is Basque." Oh my goodness. <laughs> she said, "Her ancestry <laughs> is Basque." Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know about Jeff. I don't know, but Jeff uh, Brian says that Jeff uh, is a hybrid. Huh. And, uh, Maybe the reason why he got drawn into the UFO phenomenon was because of his ancestry and blood type. Um, that's my theory. Um, but his skull is slightly elongated, said Brian Sanders. Remember uh, Elliot Marzulli's uh, research on the Paracas skulls? Yeah. And then we have found uh, uh, skulls in Egypt of pharaohs that have elongated skulls. That's so, why they wore that headdress, that long, yeah, elongated that, that headdress. Yeah, in their uh, elongated yeah. head. But some of the pharaohs and some of the some of the rulers of the ancient Mayans, uh, maybe ask, uh, some of these people or Incas, uh, maybe they were they were Nephilim too. They were, mm-hmm. you know, some of them had a, a stature uh, statures that were quite tall, you know, but they had they had a skull that was uh, had had a greater brain capacity. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just elongated by boarding or something. It was definitely, they had uh, skulls that were elongated and had extra brain cavity. Well, some of the people that are doing Nephilim research, like Ellie Marzulli, I asked them about this blood type. And initially, he was told it was just a human blood type. Now, with further research, he thinks it's a Nephilim blood type. Huh. So yeah. that could explain why certain people are abducted and not others, you know? It's mm-hmm. not that not that you know some people are just in the wrong place at the wrong time, <laughs> you know, uh, but other people have something in their ancestry that could be um, it goes back a long time. There's a BBC's production I want you to watch it. And it's too long to show here, but it's three part. It ta- it's it's called Plangenets, the Plangenet dynasty. Yeah, I think you talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, a BBC a production. The first one is very, very interesting. It talks about the beginnings of the Plangenet dynasty and the Countess of Anjou. She was married to a count. A count is like a prince, right? Mm-hmm. And she, um, her, she had two sisters. If you go to Robert Seffer's uh, video about Melusine, Melusine and her two sisters helped to create this dynasty, this uh, French and British dynasty that we call the plant. And some of the famous people within this dynasty are Richard the Lionheart, Prince John of Robin Hood fame. Um, and this dynasty, that ancestry is still in, in England. That ancestry is still there. I don't know if our present royal family is associated, but I found out um, that many members of the royal fa- uh, the uh, Windsor family have originated blood. Huh. Many presidents uh, that are related to royalty in Europe, uh, England, uh, Barack Obama has Irish native blood. Uh, wow. Uh, I think the Bushes may have Irish native blood. There's a, a list of uh, famous people. You can go to Irish celebra- uh, uh, blood celebrity uh, searches uh, and a website about Irish native uh, characteristics. And it will list very famous people that have this Irish native blood. Huh. Johnny Depp has Irish native blood. Um, and it was, I won't take too long to mention them all. But um, 
if, if so, if this Nephilim bloodline is still here, okay, and there's going to be new uh, people added to this bloodline with the abduction phenomena and the hybrids and hubris being, crea uh, being created, what is that telling us? Jesus said it would be like the days of Noah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. the days of Noah's was when the sons of God back then, the fallen watchers and the sons of God, were creating their own, uh, I guess, progeny. Mm -hmm. And these were called the fallen ones, the Nephilim, and the men of renown. Mm -hmm. So if you go back to Greek mythology, go back to Egyptian mythology, you have uh, in, in their uh, hieroglyphics and in their, um, and their artwork depictions of beings that were of gigantic structure, of, of stature. There's a new video out that um, it's called um, um, uh, Giants Everywhere and Revealed. Giants Everywhere Revealed. Uh, uh, there's something about the Kandahar giant that uh, um, Ali Marzuli, he, he, uh, right. he saw the video too, but it deals with the Nephilim that were born in ancient times and, and, our, and even closer to modern times. And so if Jesus' prophecy is correct, we're going to see um, some type of, of governance on this planet. And some of the people that maybe have this ancestry, this uh, arch-native Nephilim ancestry, will be in positions of power. But there will be new people born today because of the alien abduction phenomena that will also uh, be part of this emerging um, governance of this planet. Remember David Jacobs, I told you he read a, he had a chapter in his uh, book about this governance that's coming. He called it the change. Yeah. The mm -hmm. way he described it, it was going to be some type of human-alien hybrid government. Right. And They're supposed to take over the whole infrastructure from what he was saying. You know, um, businesses, uh, finances, the whole nine yards, and government. Yeah, but you, uh, when you first see these people, if you don't know anything about uh, this, these prophecies and this blood type, they just look like us. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. They do look like us. But there's reports that some of these people, under certain rituals or certain uh, circumstances, they can shapeshift. They mm. can appear in their forms. And this gets back to, uh, again, uh, about a woman that called me. And I, ha I had a paranormal help counseling line, and this girl called me, and she was working for the Exo University uh, in Vancouver as, as part of an exopolitics movement that's starting here in Vancouver. Um, so anyway, she said that um, she wanted to meet an alien. She was a Star Trek fan. Of, oh, great. Right? She liked Star Trek. <laughs> and she thought, hey, it'd be really cool to meet um, an alien or maybe a you know someone like Spock or something. And so she went online to find out, well, how can I meet an alien today? Because I haven't met one yet. Mm -hmm. And she found a site that said, if you want to meet an alien, there's two things you have to do. One is meditation, and the other is guided imagery. Oh, gee. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but guided imagery is being used in some of the churches today. And a rep repetitious prayers are used in charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Uh, it is possible if you use these prayers to be filled with spirit. Like I, I, I went back to my old church 
and I started attending for a while. And one uh, one morning, there was a fellow from England that was introduced on the website, the uh, church website, as being a prophet from England. That it was part of this church uh, movement. Anyways, uh, he started giving prophecies. Uh, he didn't speak for very long. He he, he said that he was um, he was trying to uh, uh, share his uh, faith with people in a Catholic school. And when he was talking about the gift of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, some of the uh, young people uh, started to speak in tongues. Huh. Okay. But he said about his own experience, when I was filled with the Spirit, he said, I couldn't stop speaking for half an hour. I kept speaking in tongues. I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Well, Galatians chapter 5 says, uh, Galatians, uh, no, it's not Galatians. Uh, yeah, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, there's a reference to the fruit of the Spirit in Ephesians as well. Well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, right? That's mm-hmm. one of the one of the fruits of the spirit is temperance. Temperance means mm-hmm. self-control. Right. So if you are really filled with the spirit, you don't have to lose control. And you, a spirit will not cause you to act uh, in a weird, drunken manner. Um, so, so if you're filled with the real spirit of God and you speak in tongues, you're not going to start speaking in tongues for half an hour and you can't stop. But in some churches, when they're using this mantra-like prayer, they do go into what appears to be an altered state sometimes. that You've seen them faint and fall backwards. Mm-hmm. And in that state, they speak in tongues for half an hour. I believe that that is not a uh, genuine tongue. I do believe there are genuine gifts of the Spirit. But that is a counterfeit tongue. Oh. And some of the people, there's a church in, Bank, in Toronto. It used to be called the Toronto Airport Blessing. It was supposed to be a, a revival church where uh, laughter was happening. Holy laughter. You heard about that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. And when the people were filled with the spirit in this church, either through you know some type of prayer, mantra thing, or people laying their hands on you, if if the pastor or elder had the spirit, he could touch you on the forehead. Well, Eli Marzuli was part of a guru group, uh, Guru Maharaji group before he became a Christian. And when the guru touched him on the forehead, <laughs> he's, he's had some mystical experience. Some people see light phenomena. People smell perfume. or And so it is possible, um, uh, like in, in yoga, there's something called kundalini. Exactly. I was just going to say that. <laughs> How does the spirit of Kundalini rise through your chakras? Okay, well you have to do a, a, a enough yoga or something, and then you open the serpent force. The serpent, they call it the serpent, will go through the chakras and your pineal gland, your their die, right? Uh huh. Okay, well if you do yoga and you're you're using the mantra of a, a Hindu god to get in that space as as taught in transcendentalization or other forms of yoga. You will have an experience. You'll have a very uh, powerful mystical experience sometimes. Uh, that, but you can have it using rosaries, uh, Jesus prayer. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things in different churches right now that you can use to be filled with this, what you think is filled with the Spirit or have a, an encounter with Jesus. But mm-hmm. anyways, the fellow that started this UFO, uh, this uh, 
this um, visualization group. Fast forward, um, he got involved as a leader of the Alpha Course. Okay, he was a leader. He was, and I went to the Alpha Course uh, at my church. It was Broadway Church, um, and um, I started to question some of the teaching in the Alpha Course after reading some of the books and materials. Because in one of the chapters, Questions to Life, is a book called Questions to Life. Nicky Gummel said he encouraged, this was a chapter on church unity. And he made a blanket statement that all Christians of all denominations should recognize their unity and oneness. Oh, boy. That, really? was, a red, that was a red flag. Yeah. And he included the Catholic Church, of course, the Orthodox Church. And so, anyways... Um, some of the leaders of the Alpha Course in America, uh, from Lighthouse Trails Research, they um, they uh, approve of something called contemplative spirituality. Have you heard of that term, contemplative spirituality? No, but I can kind of imagine what it is. Yeah, contemplative spirituality could mean just what it says to contemplate what contemplate the life of Christ, mm-hmm. but it can also lead into visualization and also to contemplate uh, the Virgin Mary, well, you have to say the rosary. Mm-hmm. Well, getting back to the Fatima film, two of the uh, uh, children, um, they like to make echoes. They were shepherd uh, children and they were up in the hills with the, uh, the sheep and they said, well, how can we make an echo? Let's create an echo. And so the three of them, according to the film version, they said, Ava, Maria. <laughs> okay? And they heard the echo. <laughs> Ava, Maria, coming back to them from the echo. And they thought that was really cool. So they kept saying it. They said, Ava, Maria. And I kept saying it like, I don't know how many times they said it. But that's when the apparition appeared. Huh. The lady of the rosary appeared to the three children. But the, the boy, the little boy, I think his name, Francisco, he wasn't seeing or hearing uh, the apparition very well. And you know what the Lady of the Rosary, she didn't say she was Mary. They assumed that it was Mary because she was a lady and she was glowing and beautiful and, you know, looked like you've seen images of the Virgin Mary in Catholic churches. And mm-hmm. you know. Anyways, um, the Virgin Mary said to the child, and this was in the film and in the book I read, uh, to the child that was not seeing or hearing her talk, well, uh, if you want to see me, say the rosary. Start saying the rosary more. You're not saying it. You know, some some Catholic men don't even use the rosary. But, women, yeah. you know, they're more open to the rosary. So the little boys started using the rosary. And next time when the Virgin Mary appeared, uh, the apparition appeared, and it's interesting that she said, I'm going to meet you for six months on the 13th day of the month. Thirteenth. That comes out, number comes up a lot with the Virgin Mary. Wow. It does. It also comes yeah. up with certain magicians and certain people uh, that are celebrities that are, are um, you know, going and coin what in, in this particular more mystical direction. The number 13 shows up a lot. It's supposed to be an unlikely number, actually, uh, according to Christians, because, it, you know, uh, when you count the 12 disciples and Jesus, you have 13 and one. Judas betrayed Christ. That's why there's a superstition about the number 13. Mm-hmm. That's when we found out. But anyway, so the little boy, the second time, was able to see the Virgin Mary because he was doing his rosaries. 
He started, and I said, well, I can hear and see you now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, so again, <laughs> so the use of the rosary, and if you say it like a mantra, you can go into an altered state of consciousness. You can be, let's say, you you know, if you have any, def- I think God gives us natural, uh, what I call protection or defenses from the devil or the demons. Right. Uh, if you do, like, um, in Pilgrim's Progress, they describe the uh, uh, an allegory of the of of the devil being a, like a roaring lion, but he's on a chain. Mm-hmm. So as long as you don't get too close to the to the devil or to the lion, uh, you're okay. Okay. Uh-huh. But what if uh, you want to have an encounter with a, a god or goddess or a fairy? Well, one way to do it, uh, there's a movie uh, you haven't seen maybe. It's called Fairy Tale, A True Story. It's a real story about two children in Yorkshire, England. And these girls became famous in the British Commonwealth because they were able to, they claimed they had encounters with the fairies in their little stream or creek near their home. And they would go down there. And and in the film version, but I've read uh, uh, written accounts uh, as well. There was a girl named Frances and, and then uh, her cousin, um, Elsie. They were cousins. And they, said, they weren't, uh, the older uh, girl, Frances, said, well, I haven't been seeing the fairies for a while. Okay? You know, uh, Elsie was saying that. And then and then he said, well, well, we just have to call their names. That's why it happens. So the girls go down to the little brook again, and, and they start calling out to the names of the different fairies. So they said Queen Mob, Queen Mob, or somebody. They had different names for fairies that they'd learned from fairy fairy tales and fairy lore. So as the more they called out to the fairies, they started to appear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now, uh, remember, uh, uh, we've heard about the black-eyed kids. Sure. They will, according to some law or the, or something they have to obey, they can't just step into your house. Or into your you car. have to invite them in. You have to invite them in. Yeah. But when when these little kids come to your door, they don't really they they are they usually have a kind of hoodies on and they don't show their eyes and they're looking downwards, right? And then they said, uh, 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 "Mister, can we uh, use your phone and come in your house? We have to, you know, we're lost. You know, we don't know. You know, may I please help us?" And the person at the door says. Um, Okay, he, he, he seemed to be willing at first, but then when the kids look up at the person, <laughs> their eyes are completely black, mm-hmm. and they don't want to invite these kids in. But there's a case, um, there's a book about the black-eyed kids, and he, uh, this fellow was on um, um, uh, on, uh, on Coast to Coast, and there was a case of a, a woman who left his child in the car, and she went into the market to buy something, and... She wasn't supposed to be too long. And the child in the car had a uh, black-eyed kid come up to him, and and, uh, maybe the window was down, and said, "Uh, uh, please, um, can I get a ride? You know, I I need to, uh, you know, I'm lost or something, and I need to get a ride, maybe. And so the child, not knowing any better, said, sure, come on in. I don't know if the child's eyes were blocked, but sometimes they're black. Their eyes may look completely normal at first, Okay. But anyways, when a child got in the car and the mother came out, uh, the mother said, hey, who's that child in the car? But she saw the, chi- the eyes of the child and they were black. 
and she was really scared and yanked her child out of the car. And and they, he, she had a cell phone and called her husband and said, uh, I, we want you to give us a ride instead. Okay? But the husband came in. The child, the child that had the black eyes disappeared. He, you know, didn't stick around. And so the husband thought, well, it's safe now to drive the car. You know, he had two cars, so maybe one of them drove the other car. And so... But they had a terrible accident. Really? It was like it was not a coincidence they had a terrible accident. And then the child got sick. Mm-hmm. Quite sick. And so, but it was by invitation. Right. The child got in. So the fairy phenomena is very similar. And this, if you want to meet the gods and goddesses of, 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 of let's say, the, the pagan uh, Wiccan uh, um, uh, community. Mm-hmm. Well, you may have to invoke them. Yeah. If you invoke them and you call out their names, uh, there's another film about uh, children in England that had encounters with fairies. In order for them to have fairies, they had to eat hallucinogenic flowers. When they <laughs> ate these hallucinogenic, then they were able to see the fairies again. <laughs> the connection with hallucinogenic. Right. So this photographer, this uh, film was called Photographing Fairies. And this, again, it was in the Yorkshire area. And this photographer heard about these girls um, seeing fairies. And so he w- came to the, uh, uh, the community and said, and talked to the girls and said, well, I'd like to f- see the fairies and photograph them. And the children said to him, well, you can't see them unless you eat the flower. <laughs> the flowers, a certain flower petal. So eventually he, he got a hold of the petal and he ate it and he was able to see the fairies as well. Huh. And so so getting back to Finhorn, yeah, if you start to take magic mushrooms <laughs> and other hallucinogens, and now if you take DMT or ayahuasca, it's not going to take you very long to have an encounter. When I was working, uh, when I was still working in the film industry. I had background performers coming up to me and saying, hey, by the way, have you tried DMT yet? <laughs> and I said, no. Uh, another person would say, hey, by the way, have you tried uh, uh, magic mushrooms yet? And I said, no. <laughs> I've never tried. <laughs> I've never used hallucinogenics. I never was involved in the counterculture myself. Anyways, um, this one fellow on a film set, the film was called um, uh, Cabin in the Woods. I don't know if you saw that film. Oh, yeah, I think I did. It, was, yeah. it sounds real familiar. Yeah. Cabin in the Woods. Um, well, anyways, this fellow that said he was taking magic mushrooms, he said to me, the spirit of the mushroom can speak to me now. <laughs> oh, I could go in so many different directions with that one. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you, you know, I've, I've been speaking for a while. Why don't you say a few things about what, you, what you've uh, researched? Well, um, one thing that um, I can totally identify with you um, talking about this, uh, of course, is the um, the connection with the uh, the aliens uh, and alien abduction. I, you know, I to- wholeheartedly fall into that camp. And, um, and when you're talking about repetitive prayer, I think it was Jesus that said, um, do not um, use vain, vain repetitions. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, you know, right there, we were being warned not to do it. He said, and, as the heathens do, right? Right. So uh, if you go to pagan uh, cultures and pay, uh, cultures that worship many gods, they do. Uh, it's very common for them to use repetitious prayers. Uh, mm-hmm. You see Buddhists, uh, people saying Buddhist prayer, uh, repetitious prayers. You see Muslims using repetitious prayers, sometimes with beads as well. Uh, Hindus, uh, they have their mantras. Uh, but again, uh, whether it's through repetitious prayers or, or mantras uh, using names of gods and deities or fairies, or there's other ways as well. Deep meditation, mm-hmm. deep yoga, where you you silence the mind and you you, you don't eat and you don't eat any food. Uh, you go, you know, eventually, you, uh, or you experience uh, something called sensory deprivation. Mm-hmm. Remember, the, there was a movie called Alter States. Yeah, and, and uh, the work of uh, the scientist John. It was based on the work of John Lilly. He was able to see and, and experience entities in the sensory dep- dep- deprivation tank, sitting on uh, uh, in a baby and on a, a, a solution that was very saturated with salts and things, so he floated, but it's completely mm-hmm. dark. And that's where he had an encounter with an entity called Echo. Right. So, right. So again, there's yeah. so many examples of this. I'm sure. Um, yeah, but it could also be your blood ancestor, your ancestry. Now and that's more prone to be more psychic or more interested in supernatural and paranormal things. Can we can we clarify though? Because it's I think there's a lot of people that might listen and they have uh, Rh negative blood and or watch, you know, as the case may be. Um, and so it's not everybody that has that, right? It's It might make you a little more prone to it. No, but... I have a friend. His name is Carl Teichrib. Mm-hmm. He's written a book called Game of Gods. He's one of Canada's top researchers on globalism, spiritual politics, and he's attended many United Nations conferences to do research. He has Irish native blood. Uh-huh. Okay? It came into, he told me it came into his ancestry by a child that was adopted. Huh. Okay. I don't know if it was that their bloodline was, but somehow when this child got into their their family, maybe I don't know how many years ago or centuries ago, that's where the originated blood started to come into the family. And mm-hmm. so, but with this blood type, his interest, he goes to pagan conferences, he goes to Burning Man, oh, God. not in order to <laughs> not in order to participate in the and the things that are happening. He doesn't use hallucinogenics. He's just interested. No, he's sharing the faith. He shares his Christian faith. Oh, cool. Uh, at Burning oh, wow. Man. He goes to, yeah. uh, he investigates what are called pagan festivals. Um, he's been to the Parliament of World Religions in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, Ray Young was at the same conference. And what they noticed at the, these uh, interfaith gatherings, like Parliament of World Religions, is that the thing that brings all these people of different religions together is unitive mystical experiences. That's what mm-hmm. that's a term to describe it. It gives you a sense of oneness. It doesn't matter what your religion is anymore. Right. The oneness comes from. Yeah, it comes from. Uh, uh, it could come from just using uh, certain mystical disciplines. Mm-hmm. Could. Uh, or meditation and so on. So uh, 
uh, have you heard of um, uh, the basic uh, worldview of most people in Eastern religions and New Age? It's called pantheistic um, monism. And when I was at Labrie, uh, there's a chapter called a universe, a book called the Universe Next Door. One of the chapters was called it was called the New Consciousness. This was before the New Age uh, term was very popular. And I read that chapter, and it was a very significant chapter in the book because it talked about uh, the people that are in this move, this movement we now call New Age. Uh, these people are very prone. Um, uh, is there something? Uh, you- uh, yeah, my wife's going to bed. That's all. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up at nine. Okay, Gordy. Okay. And and, and I, what I want to do is have you on again because we never got into the federation. Uh yeah. Uh, it's almost nine now. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but hey, uh, Carl Tykrib is a born again Christian. He teaches at a Bible school, uh, trying to wake people up that are Christians that don't know know nothing about. This kind of stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he he said to me when he went to a pagan festival. I don't know if in the states or Canada. He said that the the modern day pagans that worship many of the old gods, they said that the gods are speaking to them. Mm-hmm. And one thing that these modern pagans are being told is that they want worship. Mm-hmm. They want like. They, like and I did some research on where uh, ancient temples were built in Greece. I saw a documentary on why certain temples were built in certain parts of Greece. It was there at these temple sites that people had epiphanies or encounters with the gods or goddesses. Right. So mm-hmm. these gods and goddesses can appear to people if they want. And where they appear, and then we have Our Lady of Guadalupe, which you have mm-hmm. researched. Yeah. And yeah. Maybe Maybe we can kind of end it with it. Maybe you can say something about the Art Lady of Guadalupe and what you've researched, and then we'll. Yeah. Okay. Well, basically, um, it's another Virgin Mary um, apparition um, revealed herself to uh, Juan Diego. That was his name on a hillside that is now in Mexico City. Um, that hillside, however, had also been a place where an Indian woman often appeared to the Aztecs. So it just goes to show you that the Virgin Mary and the Aztec woman were the same person. It's, so it's, a, again, a repackaging of everything. But um, she man, she demands devotion. Yes. Um, she says that she's the mother of God. But by the time she's done with you, you're worshiping her. Yes. And a lot of uh, Mexican Catholics, you know, they have more veneration for Mary than they do for Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is kind of like a bystander. Right. You know, and... Um, so it's just it's just real interesting and uh, and the number thirteen played it. Oh, no, that was uh, Rosa Mystica, Mystica. That's a different thing. Yeah. But um, yeah, so you know wherever Mary shows up, trouble follows, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, you know yeah. we need to. Uh, unfortunately, our, our Catholic friends are involved in that, and they're you know they venerate her very oh, highly. Uh, oh, actually, at some uh, uh, gatherings of Christians now. Ecumenical gatherings. There are evangelicals using the rosary. Oh, God. Uh, I was in a, a bookstore in Tacoma. I think it was um, uh, Everett or Tacoma, Washington, uh, and we went to this evangelical bookstore, and we saw saw rosaries for sale in Vancouver. Oh. There was a, a Canadian Bible Society, and I used to go there many times in the past. Uh, I think it's closed right now, 
But I went in there, and they had rosaries for sale. Oh, my goodness. Now, it could be that there are Catholics that come into the store to buy stuff, but why sell rosaries? I mean, exactly. Bibles, but uh, so so e- uh, evangelicals, um, you know, we don't usually use the rosary, but we do. There are charismatic Christians that are using repetitious prayers to be filled with the Spirit or speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so a good book to read about this subject is um, Ray Young's book, A Time of the Departing. So he outlines mm-hmm. the similarities of uh, practices within the New Age movement that, that now he's observing in many churches, including mm-hmm. mainstream big churches now, big denominations. Uh, the purpose-driven churches are right. uh, an income temple of prayer in some of the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Alpha yeah. Corps. Yeah, some of the alpha leaders are promoting contemplatives uh, prayer as well. And well, oh, one alpha. You know who they invited to speak in at their major conference in England, uh, Alpha Course Conference. Uh-uh. Tony Blair. Oh, it figures. Tony Blair is the head of a f- interfaith faith foundation. He's Roman Catholic, but he's also the head of uh, of a faith foundation that has people from all different religions. Pope Francis. Huh. Is and and some of the Catholics today and some of the Jesuits in the Catholic Church are very very interfaith. Mm-hmm. They don't. Uh, uh, Mother Teresa said, uh, "I don't need to convert people to the Catholic faith if I can help uh, a Buddhist become a better Buddhist, or a Muslim become a better Muslim, or a Hindu become a better Hindu." Then uh-huh. I've accomplished my task. Well, well, if we're saved by our own goodness. That's not the gospel anymore. Yeah, you don't need Jesus anymore. Yeah. <laughs> if you believe in reincarnation, you don't need Jesus anymore because it's up to you to get rid of your own bad karma. And yet the mm-hmm. aliens uh, are promoting reincarnation. I can give yeah. you examples of that. But so, yeah. So, anyways. Well, I, why don't we have why don't we have you on again, Gordy? Because we got to talk about that federation thing. Yeah, I'd love, that would be great. Okay. okay. Well, we could have, you know, you you set uh, a time and date when, um, you know. Uh, okay. We can finish our talk next time. Okay, sounds great, man. It was been great having you on, Gordy. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> well, I was learned I, I so much. Thank God for the opportunity to share, you know, Amen. Uh, some research and and uh, you know we all can learn from each other. You know, the Holy Spirit uh, is the Spirit of Truth. Yeah, and if we are guided by the real Holy Spirit uh-huh. and, and Scripture, uh, the two together will guide us, uh, yeah, in the right path yeah. uh, to follow Christ. So, if uh, anybody so, wanted, to, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. Uh, uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, I did... see some of the videos about the UFO subject that I've collected on my YouTube channel. My YouTube channel is called Noah's Dove. I've got two YouTube channels now because my my computer crashed and then I had, I couldn't uh, get back into uh, updating or adding new things to my old. But if you type in Noah's Dove on YouTube, uh, you will see uh, a white square and a blue dove. That That's my YouTube channel because there's other Noah's Dove uh, YouTube channels uh-huh. and so on. Uh, but there's another one, my latest one, that doesn't have too many videos. But the first one has quite a bit of stuff on the UFO. Phenomenon. It does. It's really good. It has that one that we just saw, the uh, Secret Commonwealth. It has mm-hmm. more stuff about Jacques Vallee. It has some stuff from William Alner, who wrote books, uh, reveal, the New Age, uh, UFOs in the New Age and UFO cults in the New Age. Yeah, he's good. So, so um, I think, um, uh, uh, yeah, anyways, 
Uh, so there's a lot of material there. There's apologetical material to look at, uh, discernment material, uh, testimonials, and so on. Mm-hmm. So this nose dove, and the the other nose dove is just N in a, a green circle. Okay. Okay. So okay. there it yeah. is. Up, and uh, if they if people want to contact me, they can contact me through you and. You know, um, sure. you know, you have my number. If if they want to ask further questions, I'm willing to chat with them on the phone or uh, correspond by email. Okay, sounds great. Okay. Folks, you heard it. Give them a call or, give you know, give me a call and I'll give you a, or write me a letter and I'll tell you how to get a hold of Gordy. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Well, Gordy, thank you. Um, Brian, thank you. And uh, God bless both of you. Have a wonderful, uh, let's see, where's today? Monday, have a wonderful week. And, um, Gordy, I'll get with you a little later this week, and we can talk some more, okay? Okay. It's, it's nice meeting you two as well. Uh, Thank uh, you. And I'm uh, looking forward to um, um, this fellowship again. Definitely. Me too. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, fellas. Okay. God bless everyone.